0: Just call 888-441-7290 or go to com. You know what? Let's make it even more simple than that. You're listening to my show, and it's called Southern Sense, and you know you put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com, and click on the icon for My Patriot Food. Well... If you want to insist, you can still go to 888-441-7290 or go to my website, Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle, southern com. Be prepared.
1: All right. We're going to try it again, Curtis. Good afternoon. Welcome to Southern (laughs) Sense Talk Radio. This is Vito Esposito screwing up Annie's opening, Uh, not the deplorable uh, radio chick annie uh she's out today and uh i am honored to uh be in her place and and uh speaking with you today along with the great american and author and writer mr curtis cs bennett good afternoon curtis how you doing
2: hey and a great patriot too don't forget that
1: yeah I, <laughs> that's the world exactly right that. see yeah I, i'm we're... a little slow today <laughs>
2: Oh <laughs> um, uh, no! Yeah, we we are here to um, do the show uh, in place of Annie, who's um, recuperating from some surgery. But um,
3: we'll
2: you know we'll do the show and make her proud. You know, I mean, she's the the better half, and I'm the other half <laughs> of the show. So <laughs> we we got some great guests um, on the lineup today. We have Julio Gonzalez. Um, national tax reform expert and founder and CEO of Engineer Tax Services. And after him, we have the Frederick Douglas um, conservative um, founder, K. Carl Smith. Um, he'll talk about diversity engagement strategies and um, share his game-changing Frederick Douglas Republican engagement strategy with us. And after him, We'll have Mark Tascott, um, of the Epic Times, um, chief Hill correspondent and um, founder of Hill Faith, and then we got some special guests coming on from Heritage Foundation. So um, hang in there, and um, you'll find out who they are. All right, um, as you all know, we do a dedication. Uh, today's dedication is in honor of the men who um, perished aboard the USS Thresher, um, which was a submarine um, SSN 593, um, back in April 10th of 1963. I'm going to give you a little introduction about the Thresher, um, and then I'm going to read some of the, um, the, the broadcasts, the statements that sent out from out in the field from, from those who were searching and doing their best to locate um the thresher after it was um way way past due to um, check in so you'll be hearing those um, press releases i'm um, throwing this on um, dedication so let me begin the uss thresher was the lead ship of the world's most advanced class of nuclear submarines back in that, that day thresher which is similar in construction to other recent submarines has a Weston House S-5W reactor plant, a single propeller driven by a geared turbine and a Alba Corps teardrop-shaped hull. However, with her built-in silent quality, she is one of the most effective anti-submarine weapons in the Navy's arsenal. And remember, we're talking about the early 60s, um, the submarine and this technology. She has the ability to... Operate deeper as well as more silently than her predecessors thus making her detection extremely difficult The advanced sonar board is the most comprehensive detection system ever devised for under underwater craft She is equipped to fire the Navy's newest submarine weapons The following remarks will be centered on the press releases as I stated before um, About the tragic ending of this grand ship and its um, crew members on April 10th, 1963. Now, the first news release um, came from the Department of Defense um, of Public Affairs in Washington, D.C., p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And this statement um, was by Admiral George Anderson, who was Chief Naval Operations at the Pentagon on Wednesday, April 10th, 1963. And this is what the uh, press release stated. The next of kin of the crew of the nuclear submarine USS Thresher, SSN 593, which is the hull number, are being notified that the ship is overdue and presumed missing. The Thresher has been conducting routine tests some 220 miles east of Boston. The submarine rescue vessel USS Skylark was accompanying the Thresher. This procedure is normal for submarine tests and trials following an overhaul. Skylark reported that Thresher has not communicated as scheduled since beginning deep dive tests shortly after 9 a.m. Eastern um, Standard Time this morning. While there is a possibility that the nuclear submarine has not reported her position due to a communication failure A search was immediately commenced by the Navy in accordance with emergency proceedings for such situations. Navy ships, aircraft, and other submarines are searching the area where the thresher was last reported. They are encountering cloudy weather with winds of from 25 to 40 knots and seas of from 5 to 9 feet. Such conditions would make it difficult for the on-scene search units to sight the overdue submarine, even though it were on the surface and unable to transmit a position report by radio communications. The location of the Thresher from her last report was given as 41.44 north and 64.57 west. The depth of water at this lo- location is approximately 8,400 feet, or in other words, 1,400 fathoms. Merchant ships in this area have been requested to keep a sharp lookout for the submarine in addition to the maximum effort being made by the Navy. Additional reports on progress of the search will be made by the Navy. Names and addresses of the crew members will be released after all, next of kin, have been notified that the ship is overdue. The next news release um, came around... Um, same time afterwards, and um, pretty much said that um, Skylark has reported that Thresher has not communicated as scheduled since beginning deep dive test shortly after 9 a.m. this morning. And um, it goes on to talk about additional reports on the progress of the search will be made by the Navy. Then the next one came on April the 11th. Um, This is, again, by the Department of Defense, Office of Public Affairs, and this occurred at 6.20 a.m. Amplifying information release uh, on the USS Thresher. During the night, five additional ships arrived on scene to assist Skylark and recovery and search operations for the nuclear-powered submarine Thresher. These ships include the destroyers W.L. Lynn and Yarnell, the submarine Seau, the nuclear-powered submarine Seawolf, and the frigate Norfolk. Commanding the search operation at this time is Captain Frank Andrews, commander of submarine development group 2, embarked in USS Norfolk. And when they say in USS Norfolk, that's a ship. Six other ships, including the destroyer Blandy, S.B. Roberts, Warrington, and the Sullivans, and the submarine rescue vessel Sunbird and the oceanographic survey ship Atlantis II are expected to arrive before noon today. So as you can see, this was like an all-out search. Now, in addition, the fleet oiler Wakama is route to provide fuel for ships participating in the, the search. Rear Admiral Lawson, Ramage, Deputy Commander of the Atlantic Fleet Submarine Force will assume command of the search force upon his arrival at the scene in USS Blandy at about 9.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time today. Now, the next transmission um, has saying, was saying, um, have been calling by UQC voice and CWQRBCW every minute. Explosive signals every 10 minutes with no success. Last transmission recorded was garbled, indicated Thresher was approaching test depth. My present position, 4143 north, 6457 west, conducting expanding search. Now the message from Thresher to Skylark was of a routine nature and indicated no stress. It is not unusual for communications between submarines and services ships to be garbled due to varying sea conditions. Now, the next release came on April the 12th of 1963. Um, it says that Secretary of the Navy Fred Korth, after a flying trip to confer with submarine force officers in New London and with Admiral Ramage at the scene of the thresher search, returned to Washington tonight, and issued an official declaration that the the Thresher and all on board are lost. At the same time, Secretary Corf ordered that all naval installations display the national ensign at half mast from tomorrow morning until sunset on Monday, April 15. In making his official declaration of the loss. Secretary courts expressed a fervent hope that the rumors and speculations which have already begun will cease, providing the bereaved families a more stable climate in which to compose themselves and endure their grief. Uh, and I don't know if I mentioned it, but there was like over 120-something um, crew members and civilian civilians on board. Um, most of the civilians were contract um, workers um, from different, different um um, companies that help build the ship or install certain equipment in the ship. All right, going on, it says, in this connection, he said, I have the unequivocal assurance of all those in a position to know, including the chief of the Bureau of Ships, the commander, submarines of land, and the search and rescue commander on seeing that in orders of this depth, there's absolutely no possibility that there might be survivors and that's what brought on the, um, the statement that it has been lost. All right. The next statement came, um, the same day on the 12th. Inevitably in the wake of such a major tragedy as that involving the thresher, rumors arise as to the physical ability of the ship, aircraft, or other vehicles concerned to carry out a particular mission. Such has been true in this particular case. To dispel them, in my own mind, I have personally checked with the commanding officer of the Portsmouth Naval Station Rear Admiral Charles J. Palmer and have been assured by him that the commanding officer of Thresher, prior to going to sea, was completely satisfied with his ship in all respects. I also learned that the proposed diving routine which was to be followed on Tuesday and Wednesday of this week by Thresher, although in accordance with routine submarine force and landed fleet doctrine, had personally been approved by the commanding officer himself. There was no hint of any concern on the part of the officers, crews, or civilians aboard the seaworthiness about the seaworthiness of this fine ship. It should be remembered that a court of inquiry has been convened with Vice Admiral B.L. Austin as president to ascertain to the best of its ability, the facts attended to this most tragic happening and to delve thoroughly and meticulously into all aspects of operations, overhaul, and other related factors. Okay, the next press statement or press release came out on April 15. Um, it was uh, made by Secretary of Defense um, John McNamara for the memorial services for the Thresher. It reads as follows. Today, the entire nation and the people of the free world as well mourn the brave men of the Thresher. The sorrow in our hearts was symbolized by this memorial service. Only those who loved ones gave their lives can feel the deep sense of personal loss, but that does not preclude us in the defense department from our own feelings of grief. The bereaved families may take some measure of comfort from knowing that their men died serving their country. The world will continue to live in freedom as long as men like those devoted um, and those who gave their lives to the highest service on the land, in the air, on and under the sea. Um, And that was the last statement made. Um, It was a sad incident Um, That year, I believe, or maybe a year later, there was another lost um, submarine called the USS Scorpion. And I think it was decades before we finally had the technology to locate that somewhere, maybe a couple hundred miles off the um, coast of the Canary Islands. So it, it is a dangerous business, even in peacetime, being on a naval vessel. But still, people like those who lost their lives, on a USS thresher, they do it willingly, knowing that there's danger in love. So with that we will um play our dedication song.
1: A story curtis on that on the thresher i was reading through it last night uh, a little bit more about it and and uh, you don't realize the history behind it and 1963 a nuclear sub um is lost and it was 350 miles 200 sorry 220 miles east of cape cod so it was right off the the uh the shores of of america so it's kind of uh, yeah. interesting to to read a little bit more about the sub itself. Cause you don't think about, you know, losing a sub.
2: Yeah, that's true. Um, but the, the point that was made by the, um, officer was that, you know, at those depths, you know, there's no room, no way that could, you know, people could survive being down that, that far uh, down, you know, it, and usually what happens, um, if something goes wrong, that ship usually will just get crushed as it sinks deeper. The um, pressure down there is so strong. But um, just because submarines go deep, that doesn't mean they go all the way down. You know, they do have a a, a um, level by which they won't go beyond. But in the case of the USS thresher, um, I think what the inquiry discovered was there was some kind of leak in a pipe or something. And that oh. led to um some other um things failing and then, you know, you know the eventual um doom of the ship. Catastroph you know, catastrophic um uh, failure of systems and things. I, mean, I don't know how they figured all that out when they didn't have the ship really <laughs> to um <laughs> to um to study. But I think that that may have came years later after they finally retrieved it. 'Cause sometimes they will do that. They will try to retrieve a, a sunken vessel.
1: And that that was pretty much stayed intact, right? It remained intact. It's just that the fact that it kinda just it 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 just caved in, correct? Right, right.
2: It, there was no separation like you, you see in the movies with the Titanic, you know um, breaking. Because that, that's just a different design, hull design, the Titanic, um, waterproof, well, watertight bulkheads. Um, unfortunately, on the Titanic, they didn't go all the way straight up. So the bulkheads that were separating the different engineering spaces, uh, once the water filled up in one section, it just went over into the next. And um, that's the, that caused that sinkage. Man. Wow. But the, the Navy ships are, they built... They are built with um, redundancy in them, with double hulls and all that, you know. So it had to be really a catastrophic failure to to, to doom that ship. Were you, you know, ever
1: on subs, or did you serve on a sub?
2: No. Um,
1: oddly, I did have orders to
2: sub school at one time. I did want to serve on subs, and I actually had orders in my hand. When I left San Diego, because I was there for training for three months, I had orders to go to Grouton, Connecticut, uh, the oh. okay. but I got injured. I got injured um, in San Diego, uh, hurt my knee, and had to um, have surgery in Philadelphia. They wanted to oh. do surgery out there in San Diego, but I was like, I don't know anyone out here. I don't have no family, no friends, and all my classmates have graduated and left. And you guys held me back for medical purposes for a week or two, and now you want to do surgery. I said, um, I'm scheduled to be home for leave in Philadelphia. Why can't I just have it there at the Philadelphia Naval Hospital? And they agreed, you know, because, um, I mean, I would have nobody to come and visit with me, you know, or anything. And I went to Philly. And I'll be darned. They have a a strike. The transportation system there (laughs) called SEPTA. They have a strike, so there's no way to really get around. And I didn't have a car at the time. So I was pretty much stuck at the Navy hospital. Um, Just a couple of times I walked home on crutches. Never was (laughs) off around anything. I think I walked like maybe eight miles to, to, to get out the hospital, only on crutches. But anyway, I had my surgery there. But after I had surgery, knee surgery, I had um, torn my medial meniscus um, cartilage. And um, that doomed me from being on a sub because of the pressures that you have to undergo when you go deep Mm -hmm. underwater. So instead, I got new orders um, after being in Philadelphia for five months. And those orders were to the USS Nimitz, our newest and mightiest carrier ever built at that time. Oh, yeah, it was nice, though. I, I knew about the Nimitz. I read about the Nimitz even before I went into the Navy and to end up on it with something else. Uh, it's been the subject of a lot of um, historical um, encounters, especially with some of his um, air wing. Uh, I think there was some, some fighter pilots from um, the Nimitz that um, tangled with some of Gaddafi's um, um, MiG jets. And I know definitely some from the Saratoga, too, which uh, was another ship I served on, Carrier. But on the Nimitz, there is a movie called The Final Countdown that was made back in the 70s, starring Kirk Douglas and and, um, Martin Sheen and a couple of other notables, Charles Durning and um, Catherine Ross from The Graduate. And actually, I bumped into Kirk Douglas one day. (laughs) I was on... um, (laughs) Um, (laughs) I was coming out of a space where you go get your equipment safety checked. Um, Like if you bring any kind of um, electrical gear, whether it's a boom box or hot plate or whatever, or iron, you have to take it to this one um, location um, on on the third level and uh, get it inspected, and then they'll tag it. If you're caught using a piece of equipment you brought on the ship without it being safety inspected, they'll confiscate it. So I was backing out and I bumped into somebody and I'm like, you know, oh God, who I bumped into. I turned around. It was Kirk Douglas. And, you know, Spartacus. Spartacus, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> he um he apologized to me. I'm the one bumped to him and to him. Him and his entourage, I guess, were on their way to do another shooting or whatever. So I can literally say I bumped into Kirk Douglas.
1: <laughs> That's pretty cool.
2: Oh yeah! Hey, oh yeah! Well, watch where you're
1: going. <laughs>
2: it was really nice. It was very gentleman about it. Um, like I said, the name of that movie was The Final Countdown. And the Navy makes good movies, you know. Put it this way: Hollywood usually makes good movies about uh, the Navy. We all know about Top Gun. But well, I'm under ask, impression. Did
1: you, did you blow your knee out playing uh, um, volleyball with with Maverick? <laughs>
2: no, actually, actually, I was sparring with a friend of mine who was an untrained. Um, I, you know, I was a martial artist back in those days, big time, and I was trying to teach him some things and set up some guidelines and and whatnot. Like, okay, if one of us um, gets um, in a position where we're, you know, pushed out or forced out of this this you know boundary. You know, we just, you know, stop and um, and start over. Well, I charged him. He stepped outside the boundary. I turned to go back, you know, to a neutral, you know, position. And he threw a side kick at me and it hit the side of my oh. right knee sideways, you know, oh. and toward, toward my uh, median meniscus cartilage. And um, I spent the next I mean the whole that whole afternoon at Balboa Naval Hospital. Well, it was the Naval Hospital in Balboa Park. And by the time I got back to my room, my roommates were like wondering what happened to me because um, here I am on crutches and a cast and and everything. And it was on a Sunday. And the reason why I remember it was a Sunday because that was the first installation of the um, series Roots, which was <laughs> a big thing back then. Uh, roots. Um, um, about this this one guy's um, um, history going back to Africa and whatnot before, you know the, the slaves were brought here to America, Kunta Quinta, something like that. So I yeah. missed the first day of roots, and um, um, it was by a book written by Alex Haley, um, famous author who wrote the biography of Malcolm X, I believe. So um, I didn't want to. You know, start somewhere in a a week long TV series. When I missed the first day of it, so I never watched Roots. So that's how I remember that. You know, I think that that was the year also that February where um, Freddie Prince committed suicide. The oh yeah,
1: Freddie Prince. That was a shocker.
2: Yeah, that was 1977. I'll never get that February sometime. So I know it was before Valentine's Day. I don't know if it was suicide, they say. He was just clowning around because he often did that, you know, um, in front of people, um, put a gun to his head and act like he was going to play Russian roulette and kill himself. Well, if that's not what he meant to do, it went terribly wrong that day.
1: Yeah, because he was on, I mean, Chico and the man was like the, uh, was a hot commodity. He was a hot commodity as well. He was doing, uh, stand ups as well as um the uh the D Martin roast I mean he was a pretty popular and sought after uh comedian and that kinda came out of left field. Uh, it did. They,
2: I remember that. Cheek on the man. I used to watch that, you know, and it was Jack Alberson, it was, yeah mm-hmm, it was a game breaker because um for one of the first times it, it starred uh uh Latino, you know. Yes. Yeah, in a starring role, you know, pretty much like Bill Cosby was in um, what was the name of the show? I Spy. And I know. Yeah. I Spy with um, a sidekick. But yes, um, it was a groundbreaker, and it was a tragedy that Chico and the Man had to go off the air. It's so just as tragic as um, um, Selena, you know, getting killed.
1: Well, that was yeah. yeah. That too was unexpected. That was by a nut, though. was a right. That was a fan. Um, oh a, yeah. A, a, just a uh, a stalking fan. Well, actually, she was. Um,
2: she worked her way to becoming the president of um, Selena's fan club, and um, she was always jealous and envious of Selena, but she. Um, she had a, a shady background which was never investigated by um uh, Selena and her father before they hired her because she had got fired from previous jobs for um um taking, you know, some of the funds and misappropriating them for her own use. And that's what happened when um Selena started getting a lot of mail from her fans saying, Hey, we sent money for this, that and the other And we're not getting, you know, what you said we would get. And that's when her father, Abraham, um, started looking at the books of the fan club and found out that there was a lot of money missing. And um, um, that woman, Saladar or something like that, she could not account for it. But um, for her to have gone to that hotel room by herself, and I always wondered about that. Um, why would she go to that place by herself? Why wouldn't her husband know and go with her? But I found out later. Her husband didn't know she left to go there. Oh. Um, oh. She initially called Selena and said that she had gotten raped in Mexico, Tijuana or something, and would she go with her to the hospital and something like that. And then she got home again, and then she got another call. From this woman and um, she went to the hotel because the woman said okay I got the paperwork here at the hotel so she went to the hotel and what happened after that it's anybody's guess but witnesses say you know they saw her chasing um, Selena after she shot her and called her you know the B word and all that and and was shooting at her again and Selena went made it to the lobby and collapsed and um, the rest of history, the woman barricaded herself in a truck for about seven, eight hours. I'm not sure, but that was a long time. So these things happen, you know, tragically, they happen. But um, that's the world we live in. Well, you're We're not like, kidding. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know where Julio is, but as Andy would, you know, often say, there's a lot to talk about. and. I would start off by saying that during my visit to Philadelphia, I find that people are starting to wake up. They're starting to see for themselves how um, the policies of the left is failing is them. It's creating all kinds of high crimes and everything. And I, I I, mean, I just accentuate it. Every time I, I, I talk to somebody that's complaining, I tell them, look, you know, who's running your city and who's been running it for decades? Democrats and it's their policies that have got you on the situation where you're at now, where there's high crime. I mean, in all the major urban cities, crime is is, is off the charts. And Philadelphia itself is over 530 something, with about um about maybe 40 something domestic violent cases in which the uh, woman was killed. Some right in broad daylight. In front of witnesses, some in front of their own kids by the spouse or the boyfriend. That's how bad it is up there. So you know, I hammer that in that hey, you know, you keep voting for Democrats, you're gonna you're gonna have this lawlessness, you're gonna have this the the, these regular you know Tory um, policies and mandates that come from the Democrat Party because they don't know how to win people over with their policies. They don't know how to coerce you but when all those things fail they always resort to um, mandating and and penalizing you you know monetarily you know if you don't do this you get fined even with their trash they have to separate trash from all your plastics and things um, recyclables as they call it and they will actually do that and if they find you you have recycled Recyclables in your trash—they will find you, and that's the tyranny they live under. You know, police can't do their job because of the fact that um, they were told not to mess with anybody when it came to minor um, infractions like uh, a light out on a car or double parking or running through a red light. So you got people that, that the light turned red. They'll come from behind you. You're stopping for the light. they come from behind you. Go through the red light. That's lawlessness because going through that light, they could run into somebody else, T-bone somebody else that got the green light. I was so happy to get out of that city, my hometown, my birthplace, that I didn't stop until I got back to Florida 17 hours later. Uh, I had a few pit stops, you know, and I ate, but I didn't, you know, stay over. I just wanted to get back to Florida so that's how that went.
1: You know, I was reading uh, Bigfoot's BigFoot'sPlace.blogspot.com. He's got a great blog spot. And uh, he, there was a couple of stories yesterday. And one was how uh, Speaker Pelosi, Nasty Pelosi is shocked about crime and can't understand its cause. And you uh, were <laughs> speaking about, uh, you know, Philadelphia. Well, even the, the mayor of, of San Francisco is outraged, um, Mayor L- London Breed. Um, you know she's she said the crime's got to stop, and of course Nancy Pelosi is saying I don't understand where it's all coming from. I don't know how it what it stems from, and so you have these left wing um, cities who are neutering police officers and law enforcement, and then they're outraged at the at the crime, and you've got these gangs that are roaming the streets and and uh, and and Gathering together in, in coordinated uh, effort and, and hitting, you know, businesses, whether it's small business or large business, we, you know, we've seen the the uh, the videos of these gangs going in and and uh, breaking all of the uh, jewelry store cases and and stealing all the jewelry, or simply going yeah. into a department store like Target or Walgreens and just and emptying the shelves and then going back to their vehicles yeah. and loading up the vehicles. they they're, and grab. And they're outraged. It's like, oh, how, how is this happening? It's like, really? I mean, I, I, they, the, the left winger is so oblivious as to what their policies are so destructive that they can't see the, how, how plain it is right in front of their eyes. And, and like you said, people are finally starting to open up and, and realize that, that you know, the Democrat Party's policies are destructive. And there's nothing democratic about the Democrat Party. Nothing.
2: <laughs> no, you're right about that. Um, I mean, first of all, um, democracy, you know, means pretty much mob rule, majority majority you know, rules. Mm-hmm. Um, you will never hear a Democrat politician use the term uh, republic. Correct. And I think that is because, first of all, too close to the word Republican. <laughs> <laughs> so they stay away. So they always talk about our democracy. And we need to start saying, you know, just as loudly, our republic. Because this is a republic for which it stands, you know, one nation under God and divisible and with liberty for all. It doesn't say this is our democracy, Mm-mm. So I'm always tickled by that, and it just churns, turns my stomach when I hear Republicans talk about our democracy. We need to be well, let, letting people know this is our, our republic. Or if they're going to use democracy, say constitutional, because the, our, this democracy is supposed to be related to what's constitutional. So everything don't go, you know. It has to be in accordance with the constitution and what it allows.
1: Well, you've got the Democrat Party which which has conditioned people into into believing that we are solely a democracy. Um, and you are absolutely correct. From Hillary Ryan Clinton to Nasty Pelosi to even bubbling Biden They refer to america as a democracy they refuse to call it what it is a republic and i'll tell you every time i see hillary ryan clinton on twitter talking about our democracy i send a tweet out back to her reply i said this is a constitutional republic and as much as they despise our constitution and and let's face it since january 20th of 2021 all five components have been of the first amendment have been abridged by this administration. And it, it's really sickening us what we are seeing happening out of Washington, DC today. And even for Republicans not to speak out, you know, the second amendment is also being abridged. The first amendment, all five respecting the, uh, the right of free speech, um, freedom of the press. Look, look how they've demonized the press and how they've demonized, um, uh, Americans right to free speech we have to be conditioned you can't say china virus you can't say this and they're determining what, exactly what is hate speech in America they're redefining um, our constitution and that's why i say there's nothing democratic about the democrat party they are they've turned into the anti-constitutional party especially you know i'll tell you the January sixth people who have been, who were arrested, you want to talk about a violation of the Sixth Amendment? They have violated their rights. I don't. Not, I'm not saying I agree with what happened on on on, the, on January the sixth. Certainly, it was no insurrection. But w- when you're talking about abridging the Bill of Rights, the First Amendment, the Second Amendment, they've abridged the Sixth Amendment, and there's no backlash to this. I, I just, I, I, honest to goodness, I don't I don't get it. And I, I don't know where the Republicans are speaking out against this travesty that we're watching unfold right before our eyes. We have a chronic and habitual liar who's in the, in the White House right now. I mean, you know, every day you see something new and this guy fabricating things and just flat out lying. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at a thing right now on Twitter. when I, We didn't have the vaccine when we came into office. This was February 16th of 2021. Yet on December 21st of 2020, you had uh, Joe uh, Joe Biden, dictator Joe, was getting his first uh, uh, China virus shot, and then January 11th, 2021, he was getting his his uh, second shot. So, uh, you know, I, I, this is again, this is like no accountability on on the part of anybody in Washington D.C. and it's really, really. Sad. And then you've got Pelosi standing up saying, I don't know how this could happen. Where does this violence come from? I'm not a Joe Biden fan. I never was. I'm I'm even less of a fan now. I don't like the way the Democrat Party is ruling. and, And as far as the Constitution goes they talk about democracy because they don't want to talk about our constitutional Republic. And it's almost like they're trying to dismantle our constitutional Republic right before our eyes.
2: That's true. Um, I guess um, Nancy Pelosi doesn't recognize corruption when it's all around her (laughs) up to her knees in it, because that's what happened on the um, Trump years when they, they, they tried to bring this president down. Um, I say try because they want to get him out there before the end of his term, and actually he won that election. They just cheated. So she, you know, she's blind to the things she want to be blind to, and um, to come off as though she's so concerned. You know, these are same people that will tell you that walls don't work. You know, why even yeah. bother putting them up at the borders, but. You go to their houses, nothing but walls and armed guards.
1: Oh, probably, hey, Pelosi has a, a wall around her compound in San Francisco. She has a wall around her her house, along with a gate, in San Francisco. And somehow walls don't work. Why are you living there? Well, you know, she's the speaker. Of, well, she—I'm sorry, but she bought that house prior to her being Speaker of the House. You know, and suddenly oh, yeah. she wants to live behind a wall with security and yet walls don't work and we're talking about national security. Two point three million unvaccinated illegal aliens coming in and pouring through the borders in the United of the United States. And and we we have to sit here and accept that. And then you demonize the unvaccinated as being the problem when, in fact, you have 2.3 million unvaccinated illegal aliens coming through our borders. And this administration is transporting these illegal aliens throughout the United States. And, and you're demonizing Americans who are following the rules. And some people, you know, some Americans, many Americans don't believe that in, in, the, in the jab, especially when you have a 99.7% survival rate. But
2: you can't talk about that. <laughs> oh no! Don't even bother about talking about that. We want to talk about other things like um, green energy. And, yeah. and speaking of that, you, I, when I was in, was it Philadelphia when I got back, and I knew this was for years. This was their goal anyway, with the high um, gas prices. Um, I heard Camella, was it Camella, um, on the radio. No, it was on TV not too long ago, about a week ago. And she was pushing this um, electric car thing because of the high, you know, gasoline prices. Well, they're the ones that are making it high. And they <laughs> plan, they're doing this purposely um, to get people to switch over to electric cars. And think about this now. You, these cars will only take you at the most maybe um, six, 700 miles after being, you know, charge a couple of times, um, the thing I can see in the future, if they want to stop you from traveling, they could disable your car or just shut down all the electrical uh, recharging areas. And where, what you're going to do, gasoline allows you mobility and independence and freedom. And one of, the, one of the most ironic pictures I've seen floating on social media media is this one electric car that broke down. I guess it didn't really break down, but it ran out of electricity, and they're using a, a gas-operated generator to recharge it.
1: Yeah, diesel fuel-powered generator to charge it. <laughs>
2: yeah, doesn't get any better than that.
1: No, it does not. It does not.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I just think if we didn't have that gas. But I really no, think sorry. it's another means to control, the, you know, where we move about to and all that stuff, in, if we're That's able right. to. Agreed.
1: I, I think, you know, here it is. They caused the problem. They caused the spike in, in gas prices. They've caused the 67% increase in gas prices, 54% increase in fuel, heating oil, heating fuel oil. They've caused that. And now they're, they're, they're trying to tell us, well, there's other means now that you can take. Well, wait a minute, you caused this. When we had a three point four percent or three point two percent unemployment rate, and the economy was 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 moving ahead and steaming and roaring, we had a dollar eighty nine a gallon gas prices, a dollar fifty nine a gallon in South Carolina gas prices, and and we didn't have an issue of supply, and we didn't have an issue of of, uh, um, of, of 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 meeting demand with with that many people working and that workforce. And diesel fuel was under $2 a gallon, which meant that the cost to deliver goods in, uh, around the United States was, was uh, inexpensive or cheaper. And, you know, suddenly now we have, to, we have to sit back and say, oh, well, you have to use, uh, you know, it's it, all the more reason to buy electric cars because they, they, this administration caused the spike in energy costs to the point where it start, it's starting to really have an effect on working families and i'll use that term because the the democrat party loves slogans and sound bites but they have royally screwed the working family in america
2: yes they have and i'm happy to say that a lot of them realize this and have told me that they're going to vote republican when you c- awesome. get people to to see that these policies are hurt hurting them in the pocket That's another way and probably the best way to um, get them to uh, open their eyes and see or smell the coffee because they have to live in um, areas that they can hear shootings um, all the time. And even in their homes, they're not safe because bullets sometimes penetrate these windows and doors Mm -hmm. and kill innocent people when there's a fire, you know, firefight out there. Between these drug dealers and these wannabe gangsters. So they're not safe and they don't like that. You know, when you have to be penalized for having a plastic cup mixed in with your regular trash, and I'm talking about <laughs> hundreds of dollars, they're, yeah. they're, they're tired of that, you know, especially when I, I rub them that we don't have these issues in Florida, you know. <laughs> you know, it's just mix the trash up, you know. Or, you know, we can come and go. We don't have all these mandates. Um, dealing with COVID here, it's, it's almost like here in Florida, you know, except in the liberal-controlled areas of Florida. But the rest of Florida, it's like COVID was something that happened, you know, decades ago. We we're going about like like before it ever hit the scene. Hey,
1: there's a uh, number on the switchboard. Is that um, could that be our guest?
2: Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, I'll check. I know All K. Carl right. should be calling in a few minutes. Let me see who this
1: is. All right. Yeah, the, uh, as as Curtis stated, the uh, the Democrat Party caused this. Joe Biden's feckless policies have caused the energy prices to skyrocket, and now the answer by the shameless Democrat Party is, oh well, maybe you should go ahead and and uh, and get your electric cars and and uh, your. Uh, uh, you know, be a more green environment when in fact they're the ones that caused this entire thing. So you're spot on.
2: Yeah, whoever's on it didn't want to speak, so Okay. <laughs> they're just listening in then Right. Then our our next guest should be on in a few though. All right. Um kick Carl Smith and we can like I said ask him about Frederick Douglass um he's um he's been talking about Frederick Douglass for I think the last 14 years or whatever I don't know if most people know the history of Frederick Douglass but he was born into slavery and he eventually um, was traded to another um, plantation under another plantation owner and that owner um, used to beat him Used to whip him real bad, and one day uh, Frederick just had had enough, and he fought back, and he beat the guy up pretty badly. And (laughs) I tell you what, he didn't put his hands on him, you know, after that incident. So let me see if this K call.
1: Yeah, uh, Curtis has done some touring with, uh, with K. Carl, and K. Carl will be a, uh, an interesting, uh, interesting gentleman. Um, he has uh, K. Carl Smith is diversity engagement strategist, and he shares his game-changing Frederick Douglass Republican in- engagement strategy. You can go to K. Carl at K-C-A-R-L-I-N-C dot com. That's K. Carl Inc. dot com. And Kay Carl is a nationally recognized speaker, author, and creator of the FDR Engagement Strategy, a powerful and proven persuasive message approach developed through years of real-world successes. And with that, good afternoon, Kay Carl. Gentlemen, how you doing?
2: All right.
4: Doing All right. better now All right. that you're here.
1: <laughs> you made me feel welcome. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Go ahead, Curtis.
2: All right. Um, you and I were just recently in uh, at an event in Winter Haven, Florida. Florida, this past yeah. Monday, I believe Monday, and um, um, I'd like for you to share with the audience how that went, and um, then talk about the the following day when we had breakfast with Glenda and the girls, and how this waitress. Um, what's drawn to um, what we all were talking about. But let's start Mm -hmm. with the um, event Mm -hmm. that Monday.
4: Yeah, the the event was the Winter Haven 912 group, and we're invited there to come and speak to him, C.S. and I, uh, specifically talking about uh, outreach and how to become more effective in engaging people who – how to engage in the black community uh, specifically. So C and I, CS and I spoke, and we uh, not only told them the importance to that happen and to bridge that gap that no one has been able to figure out for the past 40-some years, but I think CS and I combined, because of the combination, we got the answer. I think we're very well, CS. Uh, the next morning, we met with the leadership of that organization um, to specifically lay out a strategy on what steps to take in order to start building relationships with people who, in many cases, have conservative values but definitely are not voting that way and uh I think they' walked away with a with an action plan that's doable and they can uh, achieve and and really help them understand uh, that it's not about just being visible in the black community. It's about being visible and know what to say when you get there. If you just say the wrong words, you just blew a perfect opportunity to win hearts and minds and, and also votes. So All right. and at, that, at, at that breakfast that morning, there was a black waitress there. Yeah. Um, and I she, was, she was serving us. And uh, she, somehow she, she happened to hear our, our conversation. Because just imagine now you have two – uh, African-American gentleman sitting at a table with uh, three, four of the people uh, who are white, and we're, we're talking about race issues, and we're talking about engaging. So it caught cost, it cost this young lady's attention, and she walked up to me uh, at the end to pay our bill. She said, do you mind sharing with me what you're all talking about? I said, no, I don't mind at all, because, number one, I was kind of impressed with that. For her having the, the the courage to come and ask, I just have the curiosity. Yeah. Um, so that somebody had a kind of curiosity, I like to I like to feed that because we there's more of us need to have, have the type of curiosity, and uh, and we share with her that I uh, you know CS and I are both authors, and uh, that we uh, we're here to we're in, we're in a haven to speak, and we talked about really really leveraging Frederick Douglass to empower liberty advocates how to best not only trump the race car, pun intended, but how to become better messenger of liberty by leveraging the writings of life of a person who I contend is America's greatest writer, speaker, and thinker about liberty than the U.S. Constitution. And our, and our republic, Frederick Douglass.
1: And, and, and uh, um what exactly, uh, K. Carl, is the 912
4: group? For those people um, that don't know. Well, I really don't. I don't know how it started. I don't. I'm, you know, I'm ignorant of well, that. I know the history of it. notes. So, Winter
2: Haven 912. Um, there's different groups that put their um, um, area name before the 912 park. That is the day after 911. And it's it's like moving forward from 9-11 and to take back <clears throat> this country and and that sort of thing. So, excuse okay. me, they, they have Trump clubs and they have um, Tea Parties um, up King, um, the 9-12 uh, movement.
1: Gotcha. Okay. And no. what? It, go ahead. I was going to ask about the Frederick Douglass uh, ties and and um, what what was the motivation behind you know st- starting the Frederick Douglass um, connection, the Frederick Douglass Republican engagement strategy.
4: The no, the motivation behind it is really basically you heard the old saying that necessity is the mother of invention. Because of necessity of being sick and tired, because I, I, I'm a, you, I guess by definition you would call me as, a, I'm a conservative in terms of values, but that word conservative has been so demonized, uh, by, uh, by by liberals that word conservative, you know, in essence now means racist. <laughs> That's right. People start to say, I'm an uncle Tom," "I'm a salad to my community." Well, I got sick and tired of being called those names. So I want to figure out what's the best way for me to articulate my conservative values without the fear of racist name-calling and at the same time a messaging strategy where I can engage people about my conservative values and inspire them to... Values, and don't vote in contradiction to those values. So after the period of reading and research, the aha moment came when I thought and I became obsessed. With the writings of Frederick Douglass, I read all three of his autobiographies. I read Philip Faulner's *Selective Writings of Douglass* by 900 pages, six size font. I read uh, every biography at that time that had ever been written on Douglass. I I went on a reading binge. Um, I read Yale Yale University Press collection of Douglass's writings called *The Douglass Papers*. So when I read all these things, When in the midst of reading these things, I had I said, "Wait a minute." I'm more I'm of a Frederick Douglass-type Republican. Then I read about the first seven blacks to serve the U.S. Congress were black, were black Republicans, where their mentor was Frederick Douglass. I said, wait a minute. These guys were Frederick Douglass Republicans. I said, wait a minute. I'm a Frederick Douglass Republican. I'm more than this conservative tag, this Republican tag. I'm a Frederick Douglass Republican. I believe in Douglass' life and party and values, respect for the U.S. Constitution, respect for life. It'd be for limited power, government, economic prosperity. So I learned in establishing this and developing this engagement strategy, a Frederick Doug a public, Republican, you don't become one because of your skin color. You become one because you agree with those life-empowering and and values. So it's not about color. It's about values.
1: And, and why do you think, then, the Democrat Party has, has co-opted and, and become the self-appointed uh, parents of of the the black community. When in fact Frederick Douglass actually I think I think black Americans have have so much in common with you know with Frederick Douglass and his movement and and actually the conservative movement. So there's there's really no color to conservatism. Yeah. Um well
4: to answer that question what happened and I, I don't know if we have time to get into just let me know. My parents were staunch Republicans until 1964. So 1964, that means then I grew up in a staunch Democrat home. My parents were Ooh. Republicans now, staunch Republicans. Basically what happened in a nutshell, when you take a look at the history what happened in 64, in particular associated with the Goldwater presidential campaign, the Republican Party, I'm sorry, yeah, the Republican Party made the Democrat Party look like heroes to black folks. And so therefore, because in 64, I grew up in Alabama, that's when the word Republican and the word conservative started to become culturally ingrained in the black community to mean racism based on the occurrences that happened in 1964. Associating with the Goldwater presidential campaign, it was it was a travesty because it was a, that's when the seismic shift took when black folks left the Republican Party en mass. Well, let let me, let me explain what I mean by that because it was by explaining it that way, I'm leaving a lot of stuff out. What happened in '64 when Johnson President Johnson signed the Civil Rights legislation to law, you remember your staunch Democrat. Senators, they filibustered the bill, and they voted against it based on racist reasons, for racist reasons. Now, Goldwater was a Republican senator out of Arizona. He voted against it not because he was a racist. He was not a racist at all, but he voted against it based on constitutional grounds. Mm -hmm. Robert Bork was a Yale University professor, out of, and he wrote a 75-page opinion, Robert Bork did, that Goldwater used to vote against the civil rights legislation. So Goldwater posed the civil rights legislation based on Title II that dealt with employment and Title VII that dealt with accommodations. But specifically, Goldwater was not a racist. He was, in fact, an integrationist. At the age of 37, Goldwater inherited his family's department store and was the first business owner to own hire black cashiers. Goldwater founded the Arizona Air National Guard as an integrated unit before Truman integrated the military a few years later. Goldwater... He's the one who integrated the Senate cafeteria in our, in, in our nation's capital when one of his black staffers was refused service. So Goldwater was not a racist, but with his no vote, he sided with the racists, even though he, the reason why he, he sided with them wasn't for racist reasons. It was constitutional reasons. So when you really think about it, do that research in history, two things, it comes apparent. Two major two major things that comes apparent when I did this research. Number one, Goldwater's nickname was Mr. Conservative. The title of the book that Goldwater published in 1960 that sold over 3 million copies was The Conscious of a Conservative. And so at the 1964 Republican Party National Convention held at the Cow House in San Francisco, the Republican Party, the party of Lincoln, the party of emancipation, Nominated a guy, or, or chose Goldwater as a presidential candidate to run against LBJ. When that happened, that's when black folks left the Republican Party in mass. How can they do this? They were saying, "How can you go? How you go uh, elect this guy who voted no on civil rights legislation?" So that's when the word conservative in the name of the Republican Party started to become culturally ingrained in the black community to mean racist, and that's when that shift happened. Um, so I remember asking my dad When I was doing my research, I said, why you, would why'd you switch? He said, son, the Republican Party Didn't want us based on what happened in 64 But unfortunately, son, the Democrat Party Was worse And then the Democrat Party started courting Black folks, because think about it now All of Dr. King's lieutenants Became Democrats So That kind of That kind of example At the leadership, quote unquote, leadership level Fed to, into that, and of course the Democrat Party did all kinds of things to uh, court the black vote, buy the black vote. If you speak, if you if you want to put it that way, so that's what happened. You're right now in terms of values and principles, it's in, black folks' values are aligned with that by and large. But the perception is, the perception is what this is not true. The perception is that all the racism that existed in the Democrat Party is now in the Republican Party. And that is a lie because. Racism, racism has no political face. So,
3: and, and
4: I know you didn't ask for all that, but that's kind of that's kind of the research I've done that, that, that gave me the answer what happened and what's going on right now. And here's the irony of the whole thing, though: it was the Democrat Party that supported slavery in the South. It was the Democrat Party that gave us Jim Crow laws. It was the Democrat Party that started the KKK to terrorize Black folks and white Republicans to not to not vote Republican. Democrat Party did all this. But now right. they're they projecting on, on us. They call us racist. Right. Yeah. Now they call us. Now they're projecting. That's
2: right. So the question they is, are the how do we overcome this? We yeah. Yeah. They yeah. are we fine. Got, who we got to overcome this. Yeah. and in we to overcome this, yeah. now, overcome to this
4: we got to learn how to win the narrative.
2: Yeah. Um. As we know, Reconstruction came about after the Civil War. And we had the troops down, the federal troops, to ensure that um, blacks were um, integrated back into um, society as, you know, citizens and have the same rights as whites and things like that. And as long as the federal troops were there to oversee this transition in the South, um, things went pretty well. And But it wasn't until they were removed that um, – the Democrats showed their true hand and um, invoked um, um, Jim Crow laws and and things like that and prevented blacks from voting. And in 1944, something like that, around that time frame, there was a case called Smith versus All Right. because um, blacks weren't really allowed to vote in, in the South. And the Republican Party, their liberators did not have a big organization uh, set up down in the South. So in order for blacks to have a say in local politics and things, the Democrat Party was the only way to go. <clears throat> so since they were forced yeah, yeah. to, to um, undergo all these, these literacy tests, and nobody passed it because they weren't, they weren't taught how to read or write back then. And then they had poll taxes and things like that. They finally went to court. And Smith versus Alright, that case, um and that summary is online for anybody to see. But the fact is that um it allowed blacks to vote in the South. Now I didn't say they would just be able to go there and um and vote without, you know, any pushback because as we know, um Bull Connor, you know, those images from the fifties and sixties with his um his um, German shepherds and police dogs and uh, water hoses didn't make it easy for blacks, but um, that's the only party that they had to um, have a say in down there. And that's how, also how a lot of blacks became Democrats. I think they had hoped to change the ways of the Democrats, but it didn't happen that way. And those who were opposed, and I'm talking about the, the Democrats, the real racist Democrats, they decided to leave that party and they became what were known as Dixiecrats. And that lasted every bit of maybe um, two years, and they decided it wasn't working. So they all but maybe three returned to the Democrat Party. Three went to the Republican Party. But if you listen to um, the media, oh, there was a big switch. You know, the Republicans sat down at a table and decided we're tired of playing the good guys. How about y'all play the good guys? We play the bad guys. That's not how it happened. And then it was taken to another level with the Goldwater um episode as K. Carl was talking about. I just want to add that. Smith versus all right.
1: Well, I, I think, you know, K. Carl, you you nailed it and with the nineteen sixty four Civil Rights Act and, you know, we, we sit here today, we wonder how is it that the Democrat Party defines Republicans and Republican Party. And that's when it started in 1964. And shamelessly, uh, they have no regrets in doing so. And, you know, they've co-opted the, the entire civil rights movement and forget about, the you know, the KKK and, and the Jim Crow laws and how it was passed and, and the segregation that the Democrat Party has engaged in because nobody's fighting back inside the Republican Party um whether right. the conservatives should be fighting back and and that's what's happening and that's why i think to me personally i think donald trump was the biggest obstacle for the democrat party because he he was teaching people that it's okay to fight back and and to take your stand and and to believe in what you believe in and fight back and and, I and think defend that that this is, and defend it and this is what the democrat party does not like yeah i
2: agree i agree
1: and see, I want to say another thing.
2: I think another thing is that the Democrats, um, they, they're they very thoughtful, and they plan ahead. It's almost like China, you know, dealing with China. They plan 100 years um, beyond what we ever planned for. So they come up with things like Black History Month because, see, if they come up with things like this, they can control the narrative. And those who control the message control the masses. So you notice whenever they have Black History Month, they rarely mention the Republicans. They will say abolitionists. They're the ones mm-hmm. that freed the slave, but they never say they were, those abolitionists were basically Republicans. So they control the message, the narrative, and that's what people hear. And when they hear abolitionists, they're thinking Democrat, those up there in the North. They're not thinking Republican. They think we're, we were the racists and bigots.
4: So that's how things have really changed over the years, Yes, because uh, the father of the Black History, well, when it first started, was Black History Week. Then Black History Week sure. became so popular, became Black History Month. But the father of Black History celebration is Dr. Carter G. Woodson. And Dr. Carter G. Woodson, he picked the second week of February for Black History Week, based on his own words, because the birthday... Of two great Americans in the month of February, who were both Republicans, And he knew this yep. it was Abraham Lincoln, Lincoln and Frederick Douglass. Yep. Yeah, Lincoln <laughs> and Douglass, and, then, and that kind of got lost over the years.
2: Oh yeah. Whoa. Most
4: most black people think most black people think that we celebrate Black History Month in the month of February because it was given to us and it's because it's the shortest month of the year. <laughs>
3: that's oh,
2: that's that oh god yeah but I, I would I would venture to say um with the situation in the economy right now, um as Vito and I were talking earlier, a lot of blacks in the urban cities are not liking what they they see, and um they're starting to look at other um options um, and Republican party is one of those options um this, Despite this, this leadership failure, and I, I blame the leadership because, like when speaking about Black History Month, you never hear a, a Republican leader go up there in, in front of the TV cameras and um, exhort the um, great rich um, history and um, historical bond between the Black community and the Republican Party, as you know the fact that we. This party is the party that that defended, you know, liberty and and fought to um, abolish slavery. You never hear that. So they allow the Democrats to get away with just about anything they want to get away with. And that's been to our, our parties and our efforts um, detriment, I believe, you know, and um, that's why the black community, like um, K. Carl said, you mentioned the word Republican or conservative. I mean, the fangs come out and the claws, <laughs> probably a cross.
4: The reason why you don't hear these Republicans say that, because they don't know how to handle the objection or the pushback that comes from the Democrats when they kind of say that statement. Because when Dingo. they say that statement about the history of the black uh, – the relationship of the Republican Party and black community – the 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 left will come back and say, oh, that was back then but that's not now. Oh, yeah, and yeah. when they make that mm. statement, the Republicans don't know how to respond to it. They don't know how to respond to it. So the question, how do you respond to that? And what you say is you say, look, values stand the test of time. These are values we're going to continue pass legislation that's in line with those values. And
3: that's what right. they're
4: saying is I mentioned before, what they're saying is how things have changed. They say that all the racism that was in the Democrat Party has left the Democrat Party and all that shipped over to the Republican Party, which is absolutely not true, but they don't know how to respond to that. And the way you respond to it is by saying that racism has no political face. So to me, the Democrat Party has a birth defect. You don't lose your birth defect, and that birth defect is
2: racism. You don't oh, yeah, lose it. Boom. boom. That is beautiful. It's in their DNA. It's in their DNA. That's right. And and if that's you look okay, at their policy. Their policies are racist. Look at all these uh, so-called projects they built in the the late '50s and '60s. It's almost like plantations. They they built these small little homes to put people in. They crammed. No wonder they all stressed out because they got no privacy. And there you go. And (laughs) they built they built thousands of these across the urban cities. Projects they call it, and they even took and made some high rises full of projects. And with elevators didn't work most of the time. So if you live on a 14th floor and you had a bag of groceries and the elevator didn't work, Lord knows how you're going to get your stuff up there. Um, of course there were some, you know, entrepreneurs out there would say, Hey, you know, you pay me so much money. I'll carry your stuff up to your floor, you know, but I, I just don't get it. You know, how people cannot see how they're being used, manipulated, and, um, really actually just, um, Abandoned, ignored, outright Except for when it's campaign time Oh, everybody's, you know, I, love you feel our, We feel your pain You know, vote for us <laughs> I, I think I got the
4: answer for that to you. Go ahead I think the answer is,
2: The answer is
4: this, that the issue Of race and racism Is paramount in the black community I mean I, This is just me thinking here, I think in the black community We put race as a major Issue over abortion there you go. You follow me? You follow me? Mm-hmm. Race is paramount. So what the Democrats have realized, we got to master this. We've got we to weaponize this issue of race. We've got to weaponize it and use it against our, our opposition. So I contend that blacks, and I'm really thinking about myself here when I was growing up, I would vote for a staunch socialist before I would vote for somebody that I perceived to be a racist. I make that example for instance. Barney Sanders had more, suppl- more support from the black community, a staunch socialist, than President Trump, who people paint as a racist.
2: That's true. Some things, Not never the change. they've taught and brainwashed people, especially the black community, and seen things through the prism of race and class envy. And yes. that's how they control them. It's a push-button issue. Anytime, say like um, there's a crime committed. Now it could be a white cop shooting a white person, and it's in the headline news. No, there's no outrage. Let it be a white cop shooting a black somebody, and all of a sudden we got Jesse Jackson in the uproar, got people stirred up. Um, Al Sharpton, he's there, you know, with his bullhorn, um, stirring up um, contention, and and it's all folk because they've been program to react to class envy and racism. Um, if there's a program that seems to slight them, it's because we're black. You know, that kind of thing. The wealthy, the rich, we hate them. But you know what? Everyone doesn't want to be wealthy because if you look at the lines when they have the mega lotto and all that stuff, there's lines and lines of people want to want to win that lotto. I'm trying mm-hmm. to be wealthy. <laughs>
4: If you all haven't, you got to get. Uh, you don't have to go to. You don't have to buy this book. You can actually go to this guy's website. Remember, I talked about the book CS, um, Color, Communism, and Common Sense. Yeah. The book is.
2: What's the is by
4: Manning, Manning, like Peyton Manning, Manning. Yeah. Johnson. Two in. Manning Johnson. Yeah. Two Johnson dot com. Manny Johnson wrote this book that came out in 1958 called Color, Communism, and Common Sense.
0: Manny oh, yeah, Johnson I've seen was that. Yeah,
4: I've he's an that. African-American. He rose to the highest executive level in the United States Communist Party. And when he got to the highest and saw the strategies and the techniques they were employing, he had this epiphany and said, wait a minute, this is not what I thought it was going to be. I thought y'all here to to help the, the black community, but you just using them as pawns. So he lays out in this book, he tells it all, what the communists are doing uh, to destroy America. And what he said was they're using race and create racial conflict and always got to have racial animosity. That's how they plan on destroy America from the inside. And, yes. uh, and, they, and the communists are doing this through the Democrat Party. So Manny Johnson talked about this in 1958 in his book, and he was in the Communist Party. When you read when you read what he has to say, he foretells all the things. Solzhenitsky was going to write about. Uh, he foretold the strategy of the Communist Party, what they're what they're doing, how they how they get into the black churches, how they get into the mindset. And, uh, and matter of fact, so yes, when you read the book, he said he said the Communist Party are the ones who put the negative spin to the word Uncle Tom. And Uncle Tom meant a black person who who stood up. Whenever the whenever the, the, the uh, comments talked about racial strife or racial hatred exists and there's no improvement, and a black person would say, yeah, we are improving, we're doing great things, here's some things we need to do and got to do, the communists would call that guy a black, call him an Uncle Tom to minimize his effectiveness in gathering the ears of those in the black community. It was a comic who coined that phrase Uncle Tom with a negative aspect to it.
2: Yeah. I negative like connotation. connotation. That's it. Yeah. And if people Mandy really read Johnson. the story, mm-hmm, if they really read, you know, the story um about Tom, um they would know that this guy stayed on because um he was moved by by God to help his slave owner become uh, a Christian. You know, he voluntarily stayed behind. He, could have, he had his freedom, but he stayed on, not because he was Uncle Tom, because he had a mission. But they don't tell you that part of the story.
1: At what year did Manning Johnson write this book? Was it, you said 1950s? 1958. So in 1958. 19, so 1958, Manning Johnson actually saw what communism what how it was it was it was being inserted into the uh, into America and, and separating the, the idea of separating the community or separating the country, dividing the country.
2: That's we're seeing. Well, using, today. Black, <laughs> using them as pawns. Yep.
4: Matt Johnson being one of the executives in the United States Communist Party was there. He was listened to the strategy he saw the strategy on how to always Create and maintain racial strife between whites and blacks. Always so that's how they plan. That's how they plan on destroying America without firing a shot. Do it from the inside. Correct.
1: Hmm. And you said Saul Wisky, like, so you, you nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. Sound like.
4: So that's, sound like, pretty that's, much that's like what like, Marsis Mars tactics.
2: Sound pretty much like something uh, Khrushchev said one time. You know, the United States will be destroyed not by an outside enemy, but from within. So well you got to keep in
4: mind. Keep, well, keep in mind now, when Manny Johnson got involved in becoming in a, in a, his party, they sent him to Moscow for training.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: So it's not surprising there's a correlation between uh, Stalin and things they said because that's where Manny Johnson got the training. He went. Oh, to, yes. he, he went to Moscow for training. <laughs>
1: What better place to, to get, you know, red training than in, than in Russia at that time?
2: Yeah. So, Kay Carl, in your travels, um, are you getting any feedback from some of the organizations that you have um, presented your strategy with that um, they are having some success with it in their communities? Oh,
4: and, mo- and most definitely, once they employ... The things that we lay out to them, how to leverage the life and the writings of Frederick Douglass in you know, order to become a better messenger of liberty, the the success they're having is not just engaging people of different ethnicities, but also engaging now the little socials that got running through their families. You see what I'm saying? Oh, so yeah. so the engagement. Strategy. It's not just how to talk to black folks, it's how to engage anyone regarding the importance of our liberty and our republic And our God-given values and doing the way where you 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 win the narrative and you're effective because here's why they're so effective the, the power is not so much in our strategy. The power is in that we're leveraging Frederick Douglass uh, And we are uh, and we uh, used his message of liberty And share it with others, because here's what I've learned. I shared this other night, C.S. Most of of the people who embrace Marxism, communism, the young people who've been indoctrinated with Marxism, communism, socialism, they never heard the counter-message of liberty based on the writings and speeches of Frederick Douglass. That's important because that's very important because the left can't play the race card on Douglass. Douglas wasn't, you know, they, they played the race card on the founders. They owned slaves, and they gave them slavery documents, so you try to minimize their effectiveness. But Douglas wasn't a, uh, Duggars didn't own any slaves. He was a slave.
2: Oh, but yeah, they also and used the writings. three-thirds clause. They always thrown that yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. Talk about, about that. Procession.
4: Exactly right. Yeah, three fifth clause.
2: Yeah, 3 yeah.
4: Yeah, and Douglass cleared that up back in eighteen sixty
1: so you i guess I'm, um my next question for you kate carl, is that um you don't you're not by the sixteen nineteen project narrative yeah
2: <laughs> the the what the what the sixteen sixteen
1: nineteen project I'm, I'm you to, know the I'm, the new york I'm Times so is pushing the sixteen nineteen project um the, where racism started in the United States back in sixteen nineteen with the settlement of jamestown. You haven't you haven't heard that? Well
4: see, see, Yeah, I, I have heard that. And uh that's like the, see they used to say back in Douglass' time that the constitution that the constitution gave us slavery. That's yes. what they're basically saying, you know, constitution sixteen but here's what Douglas said. Slavery existed before the constitution was even written. Yeah. Slavery existed before sixteen nineteen. <laughs> 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 also, although, although some of the founders own slaves um I if i get, I just got to write an editorial about this, I said God uses imperfect people to write noble documents, and what I meant by that, Moses was imperfect; he killed a man, and all, he had all kind of issues, but God inspired him to write the first five books of the Old Testament. Dead King David was imperfect, he had his issue with Bathsheba and had the guy's lady's husband put him in the front line to kill him. But yet God inspired him to write the book of Psalms And of course the Apostle Paul wasn't perfect He persecuted the, the Christians And Paul, and Paul was getting credit for writing most of the New Testament The founding fathers were imperfect. Some of them owned slaves But you can't right. take away the fact That they wrote a document that says We the people and not we the white people
2: That's right That's Thank you Lord. Now, okay, Carl If you can Can you talk a little bit about the school that you and your brother want to um, to bring about?
4: Yeah, exactly. Exactly, Because of the Opportunity Zone, that's what President Trump put in place, where if you have some land that's located in an economically depressed area and you have people who have capital gains and don't want to pay taxes on the capital gains, they can't invest their capital gains into this Opportunity Zone area. Well, we bought some land that's in the opportunities on my brothers and I. It's 105 acres of land. uh has a 65,000-square-foot building on it. And the reason why we bought this land, what what motivated us, C.S., was a speech we heard give by Frederick Douglass. Douglass was in D.C., C.S., and Douglass told a group of pre- uh, pastors, he said, pastors, save your money, buy land, build schools. Save your money, buy land. Build schools. He didn't say save him money buy land, put them in the public school. He said yeah. he said build schools. So we bought this land, and what we're gonna do, we're gonna have to um, demolish the existing building because it's just it's it's, it's just so uh, a lot of water damage, water leaks. Yeah, so we're gonna tear that down, and we're gonna we're gonna build, we're gonna uh, start a Frederick Douglas STEM science technology Engineering, Engineering and Math Academy, and um, it'd be K to eighth grade. It'd be a rigorous STEM. I come from a very science uh, intense background with my family. I got a brother got his PhD in physics. Another one that got his electrical engineering degree. Another got electrical engineering degree. Another one teach math, and I'm strong in math as well. So STEM is a way we can. Um, create generational wealth. To be honest with you, because you can go to go to high school, get certif- uh, certification in cybersecurity without having to go to college, and you can come out making eighty thousand dollars a year,
2: easily. That's now, generational wealth. To, to our listening listening audience, can you explain STEM?
4: Yes, yeah, STEM is an acronym for science, technology, engineering, Man. and math. STEM. And one of the things we're going to feature CS in the school, I've been talking with um, Hillcare College, their Barney curriculum. We're going to take that Barney curriculum and we're going to infuse it with our Frederick Douglass Liberty curriculum that we created. Um, So our goal is to inspire and train the next generation of Frederick Douglass Liberty ambassadors to counter these kids who are going out there and becoming trained Marxists, because the most effective way to defeat Marxism is with Frederick Douglassism—the writings of Frederick Douglass versus the writings of Karl Marx—and that's what that's what we're doing.
2: Now, what can we do more um, as um, Frederick Douglass conservatives? Um, republicans and and those people who consider themselves libertarians, what can we do more to get Frederick Douglass' name out there and in our schools and his works?
4: I think yes it starts with us individually because you got a lot of people who recognize the name of Frederick Douglass, but not but do not know the substance of Frederick Douglass. and forgive me for the shame this plug. Not only not only should you get copies of c s Bennett's book he writes about this and also a guy named k
2: Carl Smith that's the jump start right there oh yeah um and it's amazing that um the schools how they're being um run by by liberal policies and and liberal um based agendas that's you know like the green. Um, movement thing and the, the L G B and whatever other alphabet you know letter in it, you know they they're pushing this through our educational system and yeah, it yeah. seems like our our people just sit back and let it happen. You know there are a few yeah. you know that will raise up you know rise up and challenge these things, but for the most part the, the, the stuff is happening. Nobody saying nothing.
4: Is exactly that right. And most parents don't get involved. They need to get involved in the community. And the community, uh, the school that serves that community, that community got to be involved. And that's what's missing. So what I learned is we have to teach parents in these communities how to become self-advocates when it comes to education of their child. They don't know how to do that. We have to teach them that. No. So if, they can put, if the parents in that community put pressure on the school that's in that community, that school will improve. That's where it
2: should come from. But one it thing I noticed, wow. Go ahead. Go ahead. It can't come from where? It, it, it just can't come from agitators outside the community. It got
4: to come from agitators who live
2: in community. So school. Now, when I Now, my stay was in Philadelphia, I think, um, two and a half weeks. I mean, the way the left is programming the black community and some other minority groups. If you look at the TV programming is COVID 24, seven COVID, 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 COVID. Well, actually, they've been using that same strategy with um, their left wing um, agenda and that, that the blacks have adopted and accepted because this is what's being pushed through the news through the TV programming they watch, through Hollywood movies, it's all left-wing, and it's anti-American. Uh, I was telling somebody in the speech, uh, it's, it's to the point now where most of our young people dislike the country they grew up in. The same country that gave them, allowed them all these freedoms and all this technology, they, they despise it, because they've been taught that it's the United States that is the problem with the world, and and that we are at fault. And it's to the point where they don't even want to say the Pledge of Allegiance or anything like that. Yeah,
4: yeah. You know, that goes to CS uh, that the racism that exists in the United States today is pale comparison to the racism that Douglas had to deal with. Okay, we've come a long way. There have been a lot of improvements. More work to be done, of course, but a lot of improvements. If anybody that should have a hate for America and want to destroy the foundation of America to include the Constitution will be Frederick Douglass. I don't hear what these folks got to say. Let me go back and hear what this ex-slave has to say. See, because Douglass has done something they hadn't done. Douglas was a slave. I want to hear what this ex-slave has to say about liberty or hear what somebody think because they think they're being oppressed, has to say. Because Douglass understood <laughs> oppression. That goes to Karl Marx. Karl Marx was Karl Marx was a theorist. He -hmm. never had a real job in his life. He gave you a theory about oppression. Douglass had real life experiences about oppression. That's why I contend the Liberty Messages of Frederick Douglass will defeat and trump Marxist theories and Marxist ideologies all the time if we choose to leverage it. Like I said when I spoke in uh, Winter Haven. So look, the left got Karl Marx as, as their poster child. dog We got to put Douglas in, in the game. Matter of fact, we got to get him on our team, get him off the bench, put Douglas in the game. He's a franchise player. Play him. You, leverage his message of liberty. The left has no answer for it, and they never will. Never will.
2: And our leadership, they either don't feel it's, um important or – or They just don't know, because uh, I'm gonna tell you, a lot of people just don't know. It's both. They, they'll say they that don't think, their face they don't think is it's important
4: enough to know it. They don't think yeah. it's important enough for them to know
2: it. Right. And what I what I mean, the, the boiling point for me was last year when uh, I got very incensed at the fact that these students are so ignorant that they started tearing down statues of. Frederick Douglass and, and Ulysses S. Grant, I mean, they don't know the history. Ulysses S. Grant, when he was a general, well, he went after the KKK to for vengeance. He almost wiped them off that's the face of happens. the planet.
4: Exactly right.
2: That's and what happens
4: when, when you don't know the message of liberty coming from Frederick Douglass, you don't know much at all because you're then going to fall Fall and down and bow down to Marxism But Douglas makes it clear um, I, I mean this whole thing with the CRT The best way to, to refute the CRT All these assertions that they're making Let's go back and read the rise of Douglas. See what Douglas has to say about these things Because he did say from the body Not the term CRT but it turns up That the blacks are perpetual victims Of white racism And that whites are, can't be redeemed From being a racist Douglas wrote about that kind of stuff and we are uh, we're able to find that we broke it down and we share it with people. And wake people up.
2: Yep. Hmm. And hopefully we can educate them. <laughs> That's the challenge. Educate, on they're on being our brainwashed. Show. <laughs> yeah, we 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 have people just being brainwashed twenty four seven in the black communities and other minority communities by the news, the media, everything, newspapers like i said the tv program and it's hard for you to break through to to these people because they bought into it you know
1: yeah but the positive nature in which k carl is outlining this is absolutely brilliant and and you know he's refuting and, and you're disputing all of the the narratives and the sound bites and the talking points that the democrat party has engaged in for the last 60 years and it's it's beautiful, and you're doing it with facts, and that's what the biggest detriment to to the entire movement is are, are facts. And and as as um, as CS said, it was like you know why are they tearing down statues of Frederick Douglass and Ulysses S. Grant, and it's and it's they're preying on ignorance and dumbing down uh, uh, Americans, dumbing down our children.
2: <laughs> that's right, they have.
4: Well. The the uh the liberals well Marxist liberals understand and see us right. They're playing chess. We're playing checkers. They're about four or five uh, moves ahead of us. <laughs> okay, yeah. in a different game. And yeah, so it's like
2: the Chinese.
4: There's two there's two phrases I've learned in talking to my I got some liberal friends um, who've been drinking too late. A and and, and, it really, and, it, and, there's, and they're staying liberal or leaning that way, not voting that way necessarily, but they associate themselves with that because they're getting paid, All right, literally getting paid. So I learned with them and talking to them, two things come to mind. Number one, they understand that if you don't know the truth, you can never recognize a lie. <laughs> That's why they're heavy into rewriting history. If you don't know the true history, you can never recognize a lie when they come up with a lie. Another thing I learned by talking to these folks is that they believe and they teach that in their liberal boot camps that truth doesn't matter, meaning that if I spend my time calling you a racist all day long, every day, for several years, in Trump's case, four years – and some of that stuff is going to stick. When you come out and speak truth, because I so have effectively demonized you, the truth you speak is not going to matter because nobody's not going to pay attention to you. Because I've been effective to demonizing you and calling you a racist, and nobody's not going to listen to a racist. That's what they believe in. Truth doesn't matter. Truth doesn't matter if I, if I can effectively discredit you through years and months and of uh, calling calling you names and and labeling in you something you're not, so people won't listen to you and discrediting you. That's what they do. That's what, that's what they do. That's a strategy called Marx. That's a semantic strategy.
2: Oh yeah, and you're so so right because I have liberal friends that I've sent uh, facts to. I mean, you, it's undisputable, undis- and I will get a message back. Please don't send me anything like this again.
3: <laughs>
2: and it's like. I mean, what part of the you know truth do you don't want to hear, you know, or don't recognize? That is how far gone they are.
4: But so they, they don't want to be held accountable. Once they become yeah. aware of something, you're accountable, and that's what they don't want. They don't want that to happen.
2: Hmm. They're scared. Yeah, that's, that's a tragedy.
4: But, but, but those, a tragedy. those kind of people there, but those kind of people there, that's a minority. That's about twenty percent. The other eighty percent will recognize it, embrace it, and get behind Mm it once you're able to effectively engage them and get their attention.
2: And I find that to be true, uh, especially in our county, because I was telling the audience the other day, um, I have insight to the demographics of our area and how we vote and who's voting, you know, based on race and income and all that stuff. And we could see a, a great jump in the um the number of um blacks who um, voted for um Republicans or for Trump versus the years before that, so we know we have been effective in getting our message out here in Putnam county Florida, and um, we do that by um, talking to people um in the black community attending some of their um some of their programs and events like Black History Month or Martin Luther King Holiday, and um, passing out what I call palm cards um, that have um, history of um, the two parties and um, how they voted. You know when it came to um, race type on um, um, policies, and um, that's how we did it in Putnam, and it, it I mean, really benefited us because this county from his inception, was blue, Democrat, for decades. And um, we turned it red about three or four years ago with our efforts. And now we, we made up a 6,200-something deficit that the um, Democrats had, um, registered voters, and we made that up, tied them, and now we 8,000 over that now. So when you look at the two to six thousand or whatever plus eight thousand, that's how much ground we we covered. But it's working mm-hmm. here. Yeah, yeah. Got to educate people.
4: We we have we have similar successes CS uh, uh, so yes, that we've done in Arkansas, but but the most important success that I I I've ever been part of is my own family because remember I grew up in a staunch Democrat family since '64. Mm-hmm.
0: Start um, home. My
4: parents, all my brothers, my first cousins that that, that know me, that I have contact with, they, they call themselves Frederick Douglass Republicans in lieu of saying conservative. Mm-hmm.
1: And, yeah. and why is that?
4: Really quick. That's about a 98% success rate. was that now?
1: Well, why is that? Why would you – in lieu of saying conservative, just go back and hit that really, really quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In lieu of saying conservative,
4: because the word conservative means racist, especially,
1: gotcha. especially, especially in the, black, the community.
4: black community. Yeah, but then, then That's again, were we really we. When you think about the, the social indoctrination our young people get on college campuses, they're coming from college campuses now. I'm talking about white kids coming back and thinking the word is conservative and going home there calling their parents and grandparents racist.
3: <laughs> yes, correct. Okay.
1: Yeah. Wow. Now, now, you you said you, you purchased some land uh, to start the uh, – uh, in an opportunity zone, a sixty-five thousand square foot building was on that land. Could could you say where that that school is going to be erected, and, and where do you plan on putting that that first uh, STEM, STEM school?
4: Yeah, it's uh... the school is actually located outside of Birmingham, a city called Iron Dale, Iron Alabama. Is uh, if you've ever been to, ever been to Birmingham Highway four fifty nine, there's a gold dome you can see from the interstate. Well, that's the property we bought. The property was previously owned by the Shriners, and we and we bought that from them December of last year. And um, so we're looking at um, starting the next 24, 28 months, because we got to co- we got to clear the property, um, put the building up. And I mentioned this, what I'm doing. I've been asked by the board to start in January, I'll be traveling the country, and I've been given the um, this task of uh, raising $100 million for the endowment for the school, because 80% of the students will be of disadvantaged backgrounds, okay? So therefore, their parents may not be able to pay the full tuition, so we got to offer scholarships to help with that, okay? To help with that. So that's the task I've been giving. so... I'll be on the ground coming the second week of January. I've already got people I'll be calling on to to get this endowment established and set by the end of next year.
1: How many students are you planning on having at the school?
4: We already have a waiting list of over 300 students. We haven't broken ground yet.
1: But the student
4: body, the the classroom ratio of people, the ratio of the classroom will probably be like 11, probably 12 to 1. Okay? So it'll be no more than 400. Three hundred students in that class in that school. Okay, it's, it's going to be very very intimate. It will not it will not be based upon what you what you got the grid system in the public schools. You see where you got a teacher up front and you got chairs sitting in a row and you Johnny can't get up you know sit down and be quiet. No, it's going to be more interactive. Okay, um, it'll be more uh, interactive type setting round the desks, round tables which. You, where kids can interact with each other, um,
2: More learning how to work together. More stimu- intellectually stimulating.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the bottom line is this. You know, the bottom line is really not to – the goal is not to get kids to go in. a fine. Of course, we're going to encourage as much as we can based on their gifts. But if somebody wants to go into other different fields, that's fine. But the whole aspect of this whole thing that we're doing, my brother taught me this, we're trying to and we're working to get these children – to apply the scientific method to their life, okay? You know, come up with a thesis statement, collect the data, and in other words, become a critical thinker. That's a better way to put it. My brother puts it in a scientific way, teach them to apply the scientific method to their life. But how you do that? By teaching them how to become critical thinkers and go through the scientific method process, testing your, your, hypothesis, your hypothesis, defending it. Um, doing the research about it, all those kind of things. So you apply that to your life in terms of how you vote, you know, all the things you do.
1: And so that's what we're doing. And would there be any funding from the state for, for the education aspect of it, or is, or strictly staying away from the state, yeah. any state funding?
4: Absolutely not. Strictly probably okay. stay away from the state.
1: It, it will not be a charter school. See, that's part okay. of the problem. That if, is. I was,
4: if we were a charter school now – the government's going to tell me who I can and can't send to the boys' bathroom, or the girls' bathroom.
1: Yeah. What? You're going to have two and bathrooms? A gender-specific? Specific? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. But... <laughs> yeah.
4: Yeah. You see them, man?
1: Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they have an influence
2: on the schools. You either do yeah. this or that, or cut your funding.
4: That's why That's why we got to raise this money, so we can maintain independence um, from the, the government, because that, that's that's part of the. That's the problem.
2: It that's, is. That's
4: not the answer. It's the problem.
2: The carrot stick. Yeah. You know, we we helped you out, but you you know, we scratch your back and you scratch ours. But it's more like, um, you know, if you don't do what we say, hey, yeah, gonna pull the funding. So
4: if, if the public school system could stick with teaching our cheers read write and do math, I have no problem with it. But when mm-hmm. now you want to come, you want to teach sex education, you want to bring in this, trans, you want Trans-life. to uh, glor- glor- glorify a way of life that opposite of people's values and their worship, that's what I have a problem with. So we're not, we're not going yeah. we, you know, we, we we need more of God, not less of God.
2: Mm-hmm. And I think they're doing this to make it appear that this, all of this is mainstream. I, I notice in the commercials I watch, which I term the minute I see them more, lesbians holding their hands and kissing. Yes, the, same, and the guys, oh, yeah. they I, may try I, to make it, it sound you, seem like it's mainstream.
4: Well, you know what? I, I have a 10-year-old son, so you never know when a commercial like that's going to come on. So right. whenever we're sitting in front of the TV, I have to stop. I pause it. I, say, look, this is not something, this, I said, look, this is the opposite of our values. This is not part of our faith. Okay? So you got to understand what's going on. They're trying to attack you and try to desensitize you yep, to make you spin in your God's face. We're not going to spin in our God's face. We're going to worship our God without compromise. We don't care who gets mad about it, but that's, that's our worship. Our kids are being attacked by, in all kinds of ways. And it's through the subliminal messages through commercials. Oh, or yes. Not just commercials, but these shows. They're, they're shows. It.
2: Children's shows especially.
4: So we've got to fight on our hands, show. man, for our liberty. we got to fight on our hands for our God-given rights. And our I guess in closing, guys, i got to go pick up my 10-year-old son. We've got to stop looking outside of ourselves for the cavalry uh, or for President Trump to come save us. President Trump has done his job. He mm-hmm. gave us a reprieve. We've got to do our job. That means that we've got to get in the trenches and learn how to become better messages of liberty to inspire people to understand why America is great based on these liberties. Okay, and also we've got to become – more effective in trumping this race card. If we can't trump this race card, as conservatives, we will always be on the defense. And when you're on the defense, you cannot win.
2: Well, that's you right. may
4: score, but I don't think you'll win.
2: Yeah, you might get them a lick. <laughs> yeah, if
4: you're Alabama, you may score a few touchdowns on defense, but we got to have
2: offense going too. Oh, my God. Right. Wow. <laughs> Go Gators. <laughs> but anyway, we we thank you for coming on the show, k Carl. as appreciate always. It, um,
4: appreciate it. Enjoy the chat.
2: I'll
1: awesome. talk to
4: you. See you, you all.
1: Merry Christmas to you both. Merry Christmas oh, yeah, to you as Christmas. well. A safe one out there. God bless you. Thanks for what you're doing. Yeah. Yes, sir, out here. Yeah.
2: All right. <coughs> yep. Roll Tide.
1: Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Navy beat
2: Army out here. Well, uh, He's Army. <laughs> I'm Navy.
1: Oh, oh, hey, that's right. They did. They held them up. Navy played great, by the way. And, wow. and the thing about it, I missed that game. You know, I to Did you to see really? It. I, <laughs> I,
2: I don't know where I was. I, I must have been in the twilight zone somewhere, off the planet. I don't know. They even, Navy even completed a pass. They, oh wow! But um, I mean, they've been handing us um, a couple of losses over the years. Army, now time <laughs> we struck back, but. When it comes down to it, when we go to war or something, we're all on the same team. That's, that's right. That. We're all on the same team. I'm sure that when the USS Thresher went down, you know, there were not just Navy ships, but civilian ships out there looking to, you know, cause that's their sons and their uncles and their fathers and nephews aboard that ship.
1: Exactly. But,
2: yeah, I have to so. tell you,
1: not not to change the subject back to K. Carl, but I very interesting man. Uh, K. Crawl has got some some really good insight and um, some really great suggestions and and uh, and really does see the the, the entire spectrum of, of of what's happening. I mean, his his dissection of of how the the Republicans were defined was absolutely perfect. It it really was. I, I mean the nineteen sixty four Civil Rights Act was exactly when things started to go south for the Republican Party and, and it was when the Democrats were successfully falsely defined the Republican Party and um Barry Goldwater. That was that was really well stated.
2: And the kicker is the kicker is that eighty percent of the Republicans. Over eighty percent of Republicans supported that bill, and only sixty-something percent of Democrats supported that um, civil rights bill. And it was yeah. authored; it was authored by a Republican. That bill, and that, that's the kicker. You know, they don't teach this in history no more.
1: They don't. And it was Al Gore Senior, who was one of the the big opponents of the bill. <laughs> I mean, Senator that's right. Al Gore they, Senior. They,
2: they, they, they filibustered it for hours. And that's another thing a lot of people think the civil rights um movement started in started in the the late fifties and the sixties that is incorrect um uh, civil rights that that thing started when um the Republican party was formed in eighteen fifty four and we went to to you know such lengths that we we had a war a civil war over it mm-hmm. civil rights so, of course you you have some academic. And um, those in academia will argue that it was all about, you know, agriculture and economics, the Civil War, not slavery. But you cannot dispute the fact that slavery was up there, you know, as a as a, a objective, you know, for both sides, one to abolish it, the others to maintain it, not only to maintain it, but to to spread it um, westward and 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 west no. Um, so the fact that um, the civil rights movement did not start in the 60s and the late 50s, but back in that time and that era, I mean, bills start coming out in um, 18, 1870s, civil rights bills, and but they don't teach kids this no more, and mm-hmm. that's, that's part of the reason why. We have we're churning out, you know, little Marxists and socialists every year. You know. So we have to reverse that. And like he said, we have to we have to as parents get involved in the schools in our area. And sadly when it comes to the urban areas, you have a lot of parents who, um are on drugs or something like that, rehab or in jail, one of the parents or both. So they're being raised by grandparents who are really not up to, you know, raising, you know, another set of children, another generation. They've been through that with their their own children, but their grandchildren—that's a different breed. And these kids can work um, that technology around their grandparents, <laughs> you know. So yeah, we have to that... we have to do some things to, to change this country, or we're going to become a a soulless. Um, Society, one without a soul, and we're going to um, decline into anarchy at some point.
1: Well, with more people espousing and delivering the positive message that Kay Carl just delivered, um, I think that that's um, there. There is there is hope because, uh, as as he said, Donald Trump gave us a reprieve, and. And you can say all you want to say, but what, what Donald Trump did was open the eyes. And you, you have never seen more people of color, Hispanic, black, just step outside the box and realize that they're being used by a one political party over another. And it's just – it's been lip service, constant lip service. and And, and Trump gave an awareness to everybody. Irrespective of your race, creed, or color, and and I and that is the biggest detriment um, that the Democrat Party saw was that people were stepping outside the box and starting to think for themselves and opening their eyes, and all of a sudden, you know, it spawned other people to come out and start saying, "Hey, this isn't right." Candace Owen, she became vilified by the left. Uh, what's his name in in uh, in California? Um, being called a racist and an uncle Tom. And then he said, don't you realize I'm black? The, the radio commentator who ran for governor, mm. um, elders. you know, elders. Was that? yeah, Larry elders. I, and, and it's, it was laughable L- listening to him on the radio when he got that caller who accused him of being, an, uh, being a racist and a white supremacist. And, and he, he, he literally had to say, do you, do you not realize who I am or uh, that that I'm black? And, and there was silence. And it's like you know this is the this is the cancer that the Democrat Communist Party is teaching today in America. And it was just refreshing to hear Kay Carl, a very positive message, um, spoke very well of, of of Frederick Douglass. And I think it gave us a real a real thing. CS is to maybe educate ourselves on on Frederick Douglass a little bit more than we than than just being a, a name in history.
2: Oh yeah, I. I myself wrote a book about Frederick Douglass. um, K. Carl himself wrote two of them. Um, The guy was unique. He's an outstanding American and patriot. And I think um, it's uh, it's it's deplorable that they do not teach more about Frederick Douglass and and other. Famous black Republicans from the era, like Booker T washington and mm-hmm. and a few others they they don 't harp on those. They might have a little passing phrase, maybe two sentence, three sentence long, because the more I look at some of these history books that they they're using in our our schools um they're they are reducing the amount of information on certain events I mean World War two I think is like maybe just a paragraph 9-11 maybe um three oh. three or four sentences and and even then it's not telling truly what happened you know correct and who correct. was behind it they don't want to offend anybody yeah so we, oh, we got to don't want to be Islamophobic. <laughs> and hell yeah and and a lot of patriots black patriots especially um like you mentioned candace owens and a few others including myself, we're out there um trying to awaken the um the eyes of those who who claim to be miserable in their, their their neighborhoods, their communities. And and the thing is, for one thing you have to point out the truth to them. I mean you can't you can't heal a person until they accept um that they have a certain, you know, mental condition, with disease, you know. So that's what we do. We try to let them know who's behind these policies that they suffer under and then try to, you know, provide them a remedy. And the focus is on, like Kate Carl said, you know, your values. What are your values? And if you get that value just right, they're going to become naturally Republicans because that's the value of Republican Party. But you can't start out with the, the name Republican Party, as K. Carl said, because it, it, they they will they will immediately throw up a defense. So,
1: what do we have next? Three we have uh, we're supposed to have the gentleman from Mark. Uh, yeah Mark ta- Epic uh, yeah Epic Tap Scott. Ta- 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 Scott. Tap 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 Scott. Yes. Yeah. Wow. But yeah, anyway.
2: He may be joining us soon, but I would have to say that um, me personally, I can't wait till January first because I think that's when the gloves going to come off. People that's going to run for Congress and and at the national level, at the state level, they are going to um, announce, and some have already. But I think we got a fresh new crop of um, Republicans who are truly who they say they are. You know, far too often we have candidates that come to us with promises, and they sound like, you know, they're who we want them to be. But once they get into um, inside the beltway, within a short matter of time, they show their true colors. And it's anything but what we thought we were sending there. But I think this new crop of um, candidates at the state and um, national level are true, truly, um Conservatives and have and share our conservative values and their their sense of um, loyalty and devotion to this republic and to um, the Almighty and for those you know who who believe in God because I've, I've come to discover even amongst Republicans there are some atheists so <laughs> just the saying they love their freedom and liberty <laughs> so I guess that's why they vote Republican. But basically, this country, you know, was influenced. You know, I'm not going to say founded because that's a controversial thing, but was greatly influenced by, by you know, um, the religious, you know, movement, Jewish and um, Christianity. So, I mean, Barack Obama would say, that the Muslims played a big role in American, you know, culture, and I'm <laughs> thinking like, what, what can you name? Well,
1: they you helped know. create the, uh, the the United States Marines in in uh, 1894. I'm uh, sorry, 1804. Oh. Because oh, yeah. it was Thomas Jefferson Barber who dispatched Cook. the the Marines, the U.S. Marines aboard ship because the 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 Barbary Muslim pirates were attacking Barber. trade ships.
2: That's right, and um, not only that, they were demanding compensation at that. You know, Correct. You pay us your your ships back. And Jefferson said, "The heck with that! Sending the Marines, the Merchant Marines, or whatever they were called at the time." And that that was their first encounter with a United States Marine. That's our pit bulls. I love them. <laughs> Hoorah! That's right. Bite. They bite as big as they bark. but um then we have a very capable army too army tough and of course i'm partial to the navy you know and we have a exemplary air force and i'm still trying to figure out the space force thing you got any insight on that (laughs) space
1: (laughs) um somewhat yeah you know it basically the, the space force is, is basically air force you know they they' they are people that have come from the air force or have been tapped from the air force and um you know working with um you know part or partnering with people like uh, elon musk and um and and really uh trying to uh, push forth the space program and i think well i don't know how it is now under bumbling biden but but president trump did have a, a good insight into this in, 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 a partnership, knowing that the, the um, um, what do you call it? The private sector could deliver. And, you know, if the government gets out of the way and with the government's help and, and standards, I mean, there are, there still are standards that the private sector adheres to, you know, in prior to, to launching a rocket, whether it's manned or unmanned. Um, and, you know, the government, the U S government standards do help, but, as a friend of mine stated, when he he is he is retired from the uh, the the space program, Elon Musk is is launching you know for twenty million dollars. Okay, the U.S. government is is spending one hundred and twenty million dollars. Why? It's the same program, and it just shows how much minutiae is involved with regards to the the government getting in its own way and the private sector being able to, to do something more cost effective. So.
2: Yeah. But, um, you know, I was just wondering because I mean, are they going to have bases all all over the United States, Space Force, like you have army and, you know, naval bases and army have forts, you know, Fort Campbell, Fort this, Fort Stewart, Fort that. Um, and the Marines, they have camps like Camp Lejeune and Camp Pendleton. I mean, it's a, it's a Space Force, they're going to have these bases all over the place, or what? Well, I wonder what their uniforms look like and 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 things like that.
1: If I'm well, not mistaken, out. they're going to be on the Air Force bases, so the like a— uh... One uh, that comes out mind like Vandenberg. Um, it's going to be the same Air Force base that th- is where they're going to be sharing and partnering. So they won't have Space Force; won't have a separate base from from what the Air Force at this point.
2: Yeah, but um, you know, my understanding is they are a separate branch now. Correct. And they have their own. They're, they're going to make their own history. Um, over time, like the Army and the Navy and the Marines and the Air Force. Because we all know the Air Force came out of the Army Air Corps back in the 40s and 50s. But um, we'll see. But moving on, we don't have our guest yet. And he is quite a few minutes late, so I don't really expect him to show up for whatever reason. So we're going to have to reschedule. Mark but okay, yep, yeah, so moving on to two thousand and twenty two the elections, I really think we are going to have a red wave, and um, and that's because of the the you know i I felt the pause of the you know black community in Philadelphia, and I can't see it being any different in um any other urban areas. People are fed up with the crime. They're fed up with the high gas prices. They're fed up with the mandates, you know, even when it comes to, you know, putting out your recyclables, you know, it used to be a voluntary thing. And like all things um, liberal, it always starts out. It's it's voluntary, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, and then at some point it becomes a mandate. And if you don't comply, you get penalized. And that's the way they operate. So a lot of people, I think, are opening their eyes. Uh, that, that that makes, you know, that makes me hopeful. Um, of course, we can't sit back on and sit on our laurels, but our hands, but we have to continue to fight as though we're behind three rounds, you know, like in a boxing match. And we got to put it for for all um, most great true. fighters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a fight. Go ahead.
1: No, I was just saying that's what Trump was so good at, and 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 you're hoping that this new wave that's coming in, they understand that. Go ahead, I, I mean to cut you off. Oh
2: yeah, because I think, well, I don't think I I realize Trump taught at least some Republicans how to fight and stand up against the um, the establishment. It's not just the, the Democrats, but the establishment that includes Republicans, and um, I think one of those who learned. Was Ron DeSantis of Florida, mm-hmm. because he's not taking no crap from them. <laughs> he's not. He's making it clear that he's the governor of this state, and this state is a sovereign. You know, um, kind of like country, if you want to look at it that way. All 50 states are sovereign in their own rights, and the federal government really has supposed to have less power than they do. But um, somehow, over the decades the federal government has grown so big and expanded itself so 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 much that everybody thinks that um you know you've seen the movies where law enforcement gets a visit by the FBI and they say we're taking over now <laughs> you know right so <laughs> like you guys you know, are keystone cops we're the big guys we you know but they 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 made it like that for themselves and we allow it to happen um our politicians you know we didn't speak up we didn't say anything so that's what i was going to say on that on um, 2022 and 2024. you know I, I i am positive very positive about how that's going to turn out unless again they cheat like crazy and we allow them to do that
1: well we know that's going to happen and uh, and and matter of fact uh, with the guests that are coming on from the heritage foundation they're going to talk about the Uh, election integrity. Um, But going back to to DeSantis and and the federal government, you know that the federal government uh, or Ron DeSantis got under the Biden-Harris administration, or I should say the Biden-Harris-Obama administration skin, and look what they did with the monoclonal antibodies and how they cut the delivery to the state of Florida, when in fact Florida was having very positive results. And You have DeSantis looking outside the box at other therapeutics and treating the China virus. Um, So you have, you know, this is a very bitter administration and very partisan administration. And and so was the Obama Biden administration. So it's the same exact, you know, tactics. And that is to punish your enemy, define who your enemy is. And the enemy in this case is Ron DeSantis. It's, um, it's, um, Kristi Noem in, in South Dakota, and of course it's the, it's the governor of Texas. Um, you know they have they have actually positive um, results in in what they are doing, and the Democrats have you know they, they go back to they fall back to the same old slogans. Oh look how many people you killed! In the meantime, you know nobody talked about Andrew Cuomo sending you know seniors who were infected with the China virus back into nursing homes to infect, you know, more people and, and look how many died in nursing homes. And they, but there's no accountability for that. Um, and then you take a look at how many departures there are in the, just in the United States House of Representatives. So, so far 20 Democrats um, have stated that they are <clears throat> retiring, Curtis, they're retiring and 12 Republicans are retiring um devin nunes is one of them that's retiring but he's he's becoming ceo of trump's media and technology group so that's a little bit interesting yeah, um I so heard. if there's any indication of what we're looking at as far as a red wave goes perhaps there's the democrats in the in in the house that really are seeing the writing on the wall and they realize how partisan and how phony and how corrupt um, Nasty Pelosi truly is, and and they know with the passage of these this spending spree and this irresponsible and reckless spending spree, you know it's time that they need to find another job.
2: Yeah, I think they can sense that their party's going down. I mean, look at the approval ratings of um, the so-called president intruder. Yeah. um, His vice, his vice president. Oh, their, their ratings are so low. It's, it's almost pathetic. And he hasn't even been in a year. (laughs)
1: Oh, it's awful. It's all. And then blaming everybody else for the problems that we have today. On one hand, he's taking credit for people going back to work. Why are people going back to work? Because, because governors are lifting these restrictions, these oppressive restrictions, and people need to get back to work. And we have some sort of semblance of normalcy, and people are going back to work as a result uh, of coming out of this pandemic. And then you've got you know, the dishonest, uh, uh, corrupt Biden taking credit for creating jobs. That's job creation now. Uh, no, it's not job creation job creation is taking you know the unemployment rate from 4.7% to 3.2% outside of a pandemic you know in a in a normal marketplace is, in which you know president trump had taken this economy and i guess they they just didn't like the fact that people were actually starting to become self-reliant and self-supporting and they didn't need the federal government to be their mommy daddy grandma and grandpa and of course with with Biden coming in with Biden Harris, they're making sure that people are, are once again, becoming dependent upon the federal government, that taxpayers are, 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 are funding their everyday existence.
2: Yeah. Well, with Trump, I think he had positive um, um, growth rate every quarter that he was president. And yes, he did. Obama was the opposite. Um, it's, it's, was some of the lowest in history, except for one maybe one quarter it went a little bit above um three point five and but the rest of the time of Obama's eight years is um way below average never, there was never any growth under obama but i I get people who almost near worship Obama like he was some great you know president Julius Caesar or i don't know um but the thing is, you ask them, well, what has he done for the black community? They can't name anything. <laughs> he held a beer well, from it. The first first black president and he captured he killed bin Laden. That's it. Well actually still Team Six killed Yeah. Bin Laden Osama bin Laden, but um it wasn't him. I mean he gave the orders. But um and I can see why he did that really, him sympathizing pretty much with um, the um, Shiite Muslims because, you know, you've got two types, you know, Sunni and Shiite. I think Obama favored the Shiites versus the Sunnis. And it all has to do with the lineage of Mohammed. Um, Some think, you know, one branch thinks like the Shiites, it should come down from the blood, you know, the bloodline, as far as who's going to be the leader. And others, you know, the Sunnis believe that it could be people outside the bloodline. And that's why you have that that schism there, um, Sunni versus Shiite Muslims. I mean, when it comes to the great Satan and her friends like Great Britain and Canada and France and things, they will join together to fight us. (laughs) But (laughs) when they're not fighting us, they're fighting each other. That's why you had the um, Iranian and Iraqi war for 10 years. Yeah.
1: And you have the uh, right now you have the war in Yemen where it's Saudi Arabia versus basically versus Iran. Iran's funding the Houthis um, and you have Saudi Arabia, you know, which is trying to, to fend off um, Iran from from breaching any of the, the Saudi borders. Um, and and you have the, um, the the negative spin is is that um uh, like from the from the fraud the the fraud squad is that uh saudi arabia is is killing iranians and uh is killing yemenis and it's like that's that's not what happened i mean and again and and then again who abandoned yemen uh by the way um, who abandoned Yemen, like much like what happened in Afghanistan, was, was uh, Obama-Biden and left military weaponry, U.S. military weaponry, and, and had our military flee the area. When, in fact, uh, another thing of disservice that, that Obama had done, escalating that conflict in Yemen.
2: So true. And once again, Sunni versus Shiite. <laughs>
1: Sunni versus you know. Shiite. That's exactly right. That yeah. is exactly right. And I mean,
2: really when you look at this, this stuff goes back thousands of years. Um, fourteen hundred
1: to be exact.
2: Yeah. And you have you have the Arabs who really are were some of the first to initiate slavery um in Africa. Yep. It was the Arabs. And and I keep hearing from blacks, you know, the Europeans put the blacks in, in chains and brought them to the United States and other places in the world. But so if you look uh-uh. at it, the real uh-huh. history of it, it was black tribal leaders who hunted down other blacks and sold them to the Europeans.
0: Right. They don't talk
2: about that part. They don't talk that, about the um, the fact that in New Orleans and, and um, North Carolina and some other other states in the South, you had black slave owners. So what the left would tell you was, oh, but they were more benevolent. Yeah. I doubt that, you know. it's
1: like Murder is murder. Slavery is slavery. You know? I mean, you know, you're either a little right. bit pregnant or you're pregnant, right? I mean, is that right? Or, I mean... I...
2: <laughs> right. So like I said, since they controlled the media, the schools, and um, Hollywood... They, they can pretty much um, keep a lid on what people um, learn about or kept from learning, and that's the problem. We, we have to – I'm sure we've got billionaires on our side. I mean everybody thinks the Republicans are super rich, and a lot of us are, but what they don't really understand, even in Congress, there are more millionaires that are Democrats than Republicans in Congress,
3: but they'll that's never correct.
2: print that out. Nope. They will never print that. Because, like I said before, they have these people brainwashed to looking at the world through the prism of class envy and race. So. The
1: dumbing down of America.
2: Oh, yeah, but we're going to re educate them. I mean, there have been times in our history where we could have folded. Um, the Revolutionary War was one of the first times we yep. could have failed as a republic you know um well, actually we were just a country then of uh, 13 individual states but they joined together to um fight the british and um and, and to, yeah the colonies and to have some sort of independence and that's why we have the independence declaration of independence um that was given birth in my hometown and that's another sad thing about, you know, being from Philadelphia. That is the city that is the birthplace of the Declaration of Independence and the United States Constitution. No other city can claim that. But mm-hmm. if you were to go there today, you would be like, in you know, alternate world, you know, where freedom doesn't ring and, and, you know, you have to watch your back. You know, it's supposed, supposed to be known as the city of brotherly love. But it's murder incorporated now, big time. So, might have the times change, you know, with a few hundred years. But I don't know. We're going to get back to um, restoring this country to its um, place um, where the founding fathers wanted it to, to be, and as a republic, where the citizens, not the government, you know, run things here. The constitution I try to tell people all the time was meant to put restraints on the government, not the people. But unfortunately, they couldn't name you two Bill of Rights, um to save their lives, you know. You say walk up to a kid today or even a dog, name two um two of your civil rights, you know, from the Bill of Rights. They couldn't oh, they might get oh, um, the right to bear arms. I mean, everybody knows that one and, you know, free speech and all that. But I asked them about any of the others, and they could tell you. You
1: that's know, that, I that's where – that. I, well, I, you know, I think that's where the positive message from Kay Carl and yourself is 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 much needed. Um, I, I'll tell you, I really took a lot out of – it. this is the first time I heard Kay Carl, and I took a lot out of that. Oh, okay. Uh, but what he said, and, and I think that – You know, yeah, but it's a positive spin. And, you know, we we hear so much, so many negatives all the time, constantly. And, you know, he's just he's saying, as you are, is we're not going to take it anymore. This is not how it happened. Mm -hmm. We are not a democracy. We are a constitutional republic. And and this is it's it's apparent that the Democrat Party does not want you or anyone else to know and understand that, that the United States of America was founded on constitutional principles, republic principles. And if you say republic, it's too close to republican. That was a great comment as well. Um, and so oh, yeah. it's important that, that that the positive message continues. And I like the idea of, of the Frederick Douglass Republican, uh, because <laughs> how how do you dispute yeah. that then?
2: <laughs> yeah, I like the, the idea um, about having a school erected and and Absolutely. have many school such schools to yes. fight back against um what kids are being taught today. Um the only schools we have really that are pushing back against the the um government run schools as um Glenn Beck liked to call it are the private schools, the Christian you know, private schools they are doing their best to instill um not only, you know, um good education but patriotism and, and things like that, um, teaching the kids about the the, the the true founding of this country and how the Europeans want to get away from tyranny over there. They didn't want to be subjects no more. Um and a lot of people don't know this but um people in great britain aren't citizens they are subjects and that's what's on their passports they are subject to the crown and here we are citizens yes. and a lot of people come here to become an american citizen if we were so bad a country why are so many people trying to get in to this 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 country why are so many people from south america trying to you know go across the wide desert lands of Mexico, and, and um, to get here, it's for a reason because of freedom and, and independence, and that's that's weird because we are losing those things at this very moment.
1: Well, and yep. again, it's it's the it is the mission of the Democrat Party, and I call them the Democrat Communist Party, um, to to take and dis- dismantle our constitutional republic. And it is the reason why you have Barack Obama, Hillary Clinton, nasty Pelosi, and even, even uh, dictator, Joe Biden talk about our democracy. He, and this last week, when, when uh, Kamala Harris was speaking, she talked about our democracy and they do not, they, they, the, 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 leaders of the Democrat party consciously make an effort not to refer to America as a republic. Nor a constitutional republic, and it is a it's a conscious effort to to condition people into thinking we're a democracy. And you said it: mob rules in a democracy. And what are we seeing, you know, all across America in these big cities, in Seattle and Portland, you know, St. Louis, hell, even in, and sadly in in uh, in Philadelphia, mob rules. Well, why, why are we putting up with this nonsense in San Francisco with these, with these gangs, with these smash and grabs, walking into jewelry stores, walking into Neiman Marcus or Louis Vuitton and stealing, stealing merchandise? And, and somehow it's, you know, it, yeah, this is bad. No, this is unacceptable. What One time it happens, and that's it, and we should just – we should drop the hammer. Instead, we have this mission by the left wing in America to defund police, to defund law enforcement. You have the, the, the uh, mayor um, – the communist mayor, Wilhelm Wilhel- Wilhelm de Blasio, defunding the New York Police Department by $1 billion, and, and you sit there and say, why is crime on the rise?
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. That's <laughs> – that's the irony of it, and,
1: right.
2: you know, most people are not that stupid. You know, they can put one and one together. You know, one and one doesn't always equals three as they've been taught in schools, governments-run <laughs> schools. Um, they can put one and one together, and it comes out to be two. And it's sensible that, you know, these people are trying to pull a wool over them, these politicians. And they're becoming wise to it. Like yes, I said, they are. They are waking up. And I had a cousin, I think I mentioned this um, last week on the show. I sent out I send out um, writings all the time about politics, about the Republicans, about the Democrats, about liberty, about freedom, about the founding fathers. And I sent them out to family members and friends, some liberal. And... I got a cousin, you know, cousin who who never wrote me back, never mentioned anything um, about my writings that he, he gets uh, or that he even reads them. But I was talking to his mother one day, my, my aunt, while I was in Philadelphia, and she surprised me when she said, you know, um, Marvin, we had a discussion and he told me these Democrats ain't doing nothing. I'm voting Republican." <laughs> and I was just so proud to hear that, you know. This is a guy I don't even hear from, so, you know, my message is getting through to some people at least, and that's great. That's great because it, it just inspires me to continue. Yeah,
1: there aren't two classes of people in America. You know, we're we're all Americans. And and to sit here and to to try and divide this country based on false notions, it's just it, it's unacceptable. And you know the one thing that I, I still I go back to to President Trump, President Trump, the election of him, uh, of of Donald J. Trump in 2016, stunned so many people. It stunned the establishment so much so that we saw the effort that the establishment made in to to unseat him at every. Every aspect from the from January twentieth of two thousand seventeen to when he left on January twentieth of two thousand twenty one, the Democrat establishment, the swamp, sought to undermine and to unseat him. And it, it, I'll tell you what I marvel the most at, Curtis, is the fact that this guy not only dug both feet in but stood there, and he took the arrows. He took absolute lies and abuse, and he fought back. And what it told us is that we don't have to take what the swamp is giving us. And the swamp consists of both sides of the aisle. And that's why we're seeing some members of Congress on both sides of the aisle flee, get out, retire, run for other offices. Why? Because the American people are starting to see through this facade, this stench that we're, that that is that has evolved in Washington D.C., um, and we're not going to take it anymore.
2: Yeah, green gob. But anyway, yeah, I, I see the same thing. I see people fleeing, um, basically rhinos, and that's a good thing because they, yes. they've been the problem, you know, rhinos for 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 decades have thought they were the, the statesmen and the elders of the two you know, between the two parties, the Rhinos, because they were the um the adults in the room and they yeah. were gonna decide, you know, which way to go when it came to policy and the gender, the John McCain's and 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 people like that. But they really have been an obstacle because we could have got rid of um Obamacare easily if it wasn't for John McCain being that one vote that allowed it. Yes, correct. One vote. Correct. And he did it to spite Trump. He did it to spite Trump. But anyway, you know, we're going to we're going to have our day in the sun again. Yeah. And like I said, I just said, want to think see the, the
1: Republicans left, when they get into the leadership position now. I I hope that the like leaders, leaders. They act like leaders. The Democrat Party, when they're in the minority, they dictate to the majority of how things should be. I want to see a Republican leadership stand up to the Democrat Party while they're in the minority just the same way the Democrats are standing up to Republicans and telling them it is this way or it's no way. And you don't have a voice. You, you are, you're not even part of the spending spree, the irresponsible, reckless spending spree that we're seeing. You're not even a part of it. How much are we here? the Democrat party, when they're in the minority, they dictate they want to dictate what the policies should be, and they have a willing accomplices in the media that make them out to be victims and they're not they are destructive the Democrat Party is a destructive party the progressive progressivism is a pollution, and we we are seeing that we're seeing it with the way the cities are being torn down we're seeing it with statues being torn down and our history trying to be revised and it's and what I see out of someone like K. Carl Smith is somebody who is positive and is going to affect change. And you, K. Carl Smith, are, are really the patriots that are going to lead this way to change America and the fundamental change that we need back to what our foundings were. And I'm not saying we're going to go back to the primitive nature of America. That isn't going to happen. I mean, we've too far advanced. But Really, we have a document that's served us for 240 years, and it and it's a great document, and it's one of the probably the most brilliant writings that that we've ever seen man give aside from the Bible.
2: It's a magnificent document, and yeah. one that we should always revere. And unfortunately, Correct. as you said, the left is a destructive um, entity. They want to change it and make it a living document. In other words, you know, make changes to it based on um, what's going on at that time in our history, you know, what what people find favor with. And if that was the case, then it, it would be meaningless because they would just change it whenever they want to, the meaning of it. So right. it's, it's, it's not a living, breathing document that was meant to be. It's clear in its purpose and it's clear in its intent. And that is for more freedom for people and liberty and less, a less um, powerful government. And that's the basis for it. Um, there were states that would not sign onto this unless there was a Bill of Rights attached to it for that reason. They didn't want to hear about, oh, well, the rights are, are implied. No, put it yeah. in writing. That's, <laughs> that's, that was the way it was done, you know. It didn't get ratified until that those bills, those bills of rights, those rights were um, written and um, accepted. Put it's it right, in writing, ten. as they say.
1: Was it the the ten Bill of Rights that, that that's what they initially put in? Was the 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 first ten amendments yeah. to the Bill of Rights? I'll yeah. tell you. Our oh, the were, yeah. Our founders were, were were amazing. Were amazing men, and and they gave their lives for this country to form this country. And and you talk about Philadelphia being the home of the Constitution. And I, I think about Massachusetts, and and what role it played, of course, with the shot being heard around the world, and and to see how far left that that state has gone, it's just it's mind boggling. Mm-hmm. It really is. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I could just say, hold on to your seats for
3: <laughs> next year. Isn't that the because
2: truth? if uh, Trump announces, oh, man, good God, it would be like no political campaign we ever seen before. Because he knows the ropes now. He knows who he can trust, who he can't. He knows how the system worked, And he's going in there to clean house, really, really clean house this time. Um, they can throw up all the phony little little charges against them they want, but Trump is going to nullify that because he's going to have a Congress that's going to be in control of both houses. So, you know, I'm looking forward to it.
1: You know, you said a really good thing right there with, with regards to Trump knowing who to trust. You know, he obviously being new, he had to rely on insiders and uh you know for, advisors
3: yeah
2: so advisors now, selected by the, the establishment yeah, yeah this guy
1: now here. it's not anymore not any, I, okay. I i don't know about you but are you surprised that mark meadows i'm surprised how mark meadows has dug in and has has stood behind the executive privilege um and now of course he's gonna it looks like he's gonna be brought up on charges of contempt of congress i'm surprised I I didn't I didn't think him to be that much of a loyalist to to, uh, to President Trump. Well, I'm not too
2: surprised. I mean, there are consequences sometimes when you do when you take a stand. But the, the fact, fact the, the fact is this, I think he understands that, you know, if Trump does run, he's going to win again. So anything that they try to do to him. Um, Trump is just going to nullify, you know. So I think that may be at the back of his mind. Roger Stone, the same thing, you know. Um, He was pardoned. So, but they they had threatened him. You know, just about anybody that was um, associated with Trump, they went after and went after with a vengeance. So they tried to make it sound like um, it was like uh, some kind of, New York Mafia, Trump and his gang, but um, it wasn't the 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 mafia was really those in Congress, the elite, oh. the establishment, those in the power. Establishment. That's the establishment. Yes, that's the that's the mafia we face today, and they will do anything and everything to survive. And I believe that you know I'm sure you heard stories about people who went after the Clintons. <laughs> now they pushing up daisies, you know. I don't know if there's any truth to that, but um, there was one guy that was really close to um, Hillary, and he somehow strangely shot himself in the back of the head. But there's no gun around. I guess you know what I'm talking about. Vince but Foster. Anyway, there you go. So you know you got you do have to be careful because they are powerful. And they will do anything and everything, like I said, to stay in power. They will come after you for vengeance. But you still have to be brave and stand your ground and fight for what you believe in. Just like um, General George Washington. I mean, can you imagine being at Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, in the dead of the winter, no socks, most of them, no food, hardly. You know, they, they. They're stuck in these little log cabins with barely any wood to, to make fires. I, I made a visit to Valley Forest when I was a young boy, and a uh, Boy Scout. And I was amazed at how these folks survived the winter in Pennsylvania with, you know, little to eat and um, little to keep them warm. But they did. And to have faced so many defeats and still fight on. George Washington was a remarkable guy, but we needed remarkable people back then. And it has shown throughout this this country's history that um, when we needed certain people to rise to the occasion, they did, like a Lincoln or Ulysses S. Grant or Frederick Douglass, you know, and, and so on. And I believe that that rings true today when Trump, ascended to the presidency because had Hillary ascended, this country would be a socialist country by now. At least um, in everything we did, like socialism, whatever you want to call it, social, socialism-like. But Trump came out of nowhere. Nobody took him seriously. Mm-hmm. And once they I, did, it was too late. He was in the White House by then when they finally took him seriously. Oh, yeah.
1: so. You know, I, I can remember I, I did not I didn't think he was a serious candidate. I always thought he was going to back out. Um, and certainly when election day came, it was it was a no brainer. It was going to be I wouldn't I wouldn't vote for Hillary Biden, Clinton for for a dog catcher. Um, but when he won, that was I, you know it was stunning. It sent I can understand the shock waves that it sent to Washington D.C. because nobody none of those elitists thought. That somebody as as embedded uh, uh, as Hillary Clinton, with that type of name recognition, um, would lose to a Nobel. A Clinton machine, Clinton and a Clinton Clinton machine right? A neophyte coming in and unseating, you know, a a machine. It was just, it was absolutely priceless, and well, that. That was that's what really they, that was the catalyst of trying to unseat the guy because he was an outside um, outsider looking in and he infringed upon the swamps um, land their their space. Well,
2: yeah, well, I like many others, we understood the pill of Trump. I personally tried to get into one of his rallies, and the place was already. Filled to capacity, and it was still ten blocks with double lines of people, maybe triple, you know, lines of people waiting to get in. They were told, "Hey, no more space." I mean, the the, the seating would be for eighteen thousand, but twenty six thousand to show up, and this went on all over the United States. And I knew something then was happening, something different, something special.
1: Al. My uh, my sidekick on Monday nights, Al. He was um, he was covering uh, Trump at an airport in uh, Central Florida. Um, it was I think Sanford Airport, and he was told that they had there was a hangar that was going to house between six and eight thousand people. And he got there, and he called me. He said, "Hey, you're not going to believe this." He says, "But they're moving." The the Trump rally, this is in 2016, because there's at least 30,000 people here. uh, He goes, I'm in the middle of nowhere, and there's 30,000, and when it was done, when when they moved the venue and and it was starting to go, he was talking to one of the police officers there, and he goes, how many do you estimate? And there were two police officers standing together. He goes, oh, there's at least 35,000 people here. You don't see the other 2,000 cars that are on the other side of whatever it was. I don't know where, I don't know the layout, but so there was 35,000 people in this remote little airport, Sanford Airport, and they were expecting, at the most, they were expecting 8,000 people.
2: I know. and Like I said, to me, that was a sign that something was going on here, remarkable, unprecedented, and um something i look forward to again
3: <laughs> i'm
2: looking forward because now this, the the venue's going to be for 30,000 and 200,000 to show up <laughs> hey he's like a, he's like a rock star he's like a rock star man Madonna, Mick jagger the beatles all rolling in one <laughs>
1: But aren't you not offended by the mean tweets? Oh, are you that fragile?
2: Well, well you know, <laughs> they can go to one of these college campuses where they have safe spaces. Yes. And they can feel yes. safe there. You know, one of the, one of Trump's appeal to most Republicans is that he is a fighter. And we had never had a fighter like yes, that sir. Um, that was bold and bodacious, How would even say. And his response to the left, Ronald Reagan was a little more, you know, diplomatic about it, mm-hmm. or regal, but um, Trump was just a—he's a scrapper, you know. And he got that being in the business world. You don't be in the business world be successful without being a scrapper. That's I mean, correct. You, you, you know, you—you you think um, Trump is bad? I mean, Bill Gates was one at age 19. I mean, people were really amazed at Bill Gates and his his business savvy. He, for a young kid, boy, he stood his ground. Now, I give him that much. But his policies, unfortunately, later in life, uh, dead wrong. He's liberal, and for all his accomplishment with um, Microsoft, you know, Microsoft, I have to say that you know he has not done this country or the world any good with his um, left wing policies. Him and Fauci, when you think of the two, and COVID and
1: China. The greed. Well stated. That was well stated, Curtis. You hit the nail on the head, man. That's that's exactly right.
2: Well, it looks like we come to the end of the show. Vito, you want to close it yeah.
1: out? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Close it out. And and, uh, and you know I want to thank you and and, and Annie for having me on. And sorry, our, our all of our guests didn't show, but. Um, a speedy recovery to Annie um, as well, and and uh, hey, it, it was a real pleasure. Thank you, thank you again, Curtis, and, and Merry Christmas to you and your family. I
2: appreciate that, and likewise, we don't have to say Happy Holidays. You <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just think of it, the Obama area—you couldn't say Merry Christmas in uh, federal buildings and offices. It was Happy Holidays.
1: Happy Holidays. So oh, tired. Can we sing Kumbaya? Yeah. Can we hold hands virtually and Let's sing w- Kumbaya? Yeah. I forgot the words. <laughs> All righty. Well, well, thank you, Bigfoot, Ducky, uh, Boyd. Thank you so much. Sue from New Mexico, she's on the line. And, and uh, Annie was, uh, had, had uh, chimed in. And made she a cam. Yeah. Made she, a cam. She's still hostage at the hospital, so um, <laughs> cut her she made a cameo. A yeah. I'm cut her but, thank you, uh, Curtis. I appreciate it, man. Have a, have a nice weekend. Oh yeah, we will be back next Friday. We will. Oh, that's Christmas Eve next Christmas Friday. Eve. Okay. Right. I'll tell you,
2: year sneaking up on us. The year's ending.
1: The year's ending. So be safe, man, and, and
2: enjoy life out there. You know, and we'll get this Republican you know, Republic
1: back to where it should be. Amen. Thank you so much. And uh, God bless you guys. Be safe out there. Be aware of your surroundings and Merry Christmas to everybody and, uh, and a happy new year. Bye. All right.